Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. everybody and welcome just I should be rubbing my hands here welcome to midweek motorsport it is series 15 episode 12 i'm john hindorf and because it's been such a lovely day i thought we would do the show from outside hindorf towers tonight and bring you a little bit of the atmosphere particularly for those of you who have been cooped up perhaps um in the last few days for the obvious reasons i had um reckoned without after a beautiful day where I've actually caught the sun in the garden today as I was sitting having a cup of coffee and doing a bit of work um, how cold it gets when the sun goes down if you're in the UK tonight uh, if you look to the south and the uh, I think starting from the east uh, it is a brilliant night to see the space station going across the International Space Station going across it's going to be chilly though so we have had to put the fire pit on you can also uh, see Venus. Can you? Yeah. Excellent. Uh, that's Tim Grau, executive producer, who's up in London. Uh, good evening, Tim. And on a packed programme tonight, we have what? Uh, we have all the usual features. I can't see Venus because the blinds are closed in the <laughs> studio. So, If you told uh, me which way I was looking and I nip back in to get myself a pair of binoculars, I could have a scan around. Oh, you can see it with a naked eye. You won't need the binoculars for it. Oh, really? It. Yeah. Uh, it'll be a little bit later, I think. Okay. Um, but, uh, yes, you should be able to see that. Uh, all the usual features. We've got a big interview. We've got some news. We've got uh, our regular guests, uh, uh, and uh, we're talking about all the things we normally talk about. Uh, plus uh, interaction from our audience uh, via Twitter. Uh, on at Specutainment, and let's get into uh, let's get into some of your early correspondence. Keki Murray, AFAs for a day to check day at the income assistance office where I work normally not on the front lines, but it's all gloved hands on deck. Thank you for being a, an oasis of normality right now. We, wishing all the collective Easters uh, good health. Uh, I think we all go along with that. Hello at the crotch belt listening in uh, this evening. Also to Stephen Gardner was asking... Uh, if the UK's had its springtime change, no, just after four Eastern, noon Pacific, but the last week for that because our clocks spring forward at the weekend. Hello to Alan Space, no FAs listening. While the lovely and talented missus is preparing a delicious homemade lasagna with all the usual features. Excellent. Kevin Payne listening live after a busy day in the garden, making most of the fabulous weather. It's been lovely. Uh, thanks to the team at Travel Destinations for a smooth rescheduling of his uh, Le Mans bookings to September. I will have some Le Mans news for you a bit later on. Stay at home, everybody, that can and should do, and we'll get through this as quickly as possible. Uh, hello to Shea Adam, 
who we will have on the show later on, although we had to record her because she's travelling at the moment and wasn't uh, sure what the internet was going to be like, where she was going to. Uh, Turtle says, no AFAs from here this week. Intrigued to see the quarantine effect on what happens once this blows over. Will we see rushed prep for the next races on the part of both teams and venues due to the inability to maintain or prepare for the races? It's a good point that, you know, and once we get closer to going back to racing, uh, we'll follow that up for you. Um, It'll be a very gradual return. I think so, and I think... You'll, you'll see major national series returning first. Yeah. Uh, ones which don't have overseas competitors. Uh, you'll see club racing not happening at all. I think we've lost the whole club racing season, certainly in the UK to uh, this year. I agree with that. And uh, then the international calendar will come back in some form. And it'll be different in different places because not everybody's at the same point in uh, in the, the virus spread, is it? Exactly. So, uh, yeah, absolutely agree with that. Uh, Matt Hunter... Uh, who will be on the show tonight. Uh, Steph's prepared a pork cassoulet, which he's looking forward to, and dessert uh, courtesy of Kinder. Trying to listen live, says Rob Bester. Might have to resort to downloading if the internet doesn't work properly here with me tonight. Hello to Valiant Thought, which is one of the great uh, internet uh, Twitter names uh, on there. Uh, listening live by TuneIn, says Chris Matthews. Uh, day off from work, getting the laundry, do- laundry done. Back to the front lines at the supermarket. A shout out to the truckers in the US for getting supplies to the stores for shoppers to buy. Uh, and yeah, you stay safe, Chris. You are on the front line. I, I know you've said that with tongue firmly in cheek, but um, make sure you stay safe there as well. Um, hello to uh, Right Turn Lover, to uh, SCS Software, and many more at Specutainment if you want to get in touch with us tonight. Uh, oh, hang on. Samoa's just dropped in there. Even as I was... Alexander Orkin, um, after a hugely intense working week at home on a shh programme, no airface, looking forward to the washing up, which is what he tells us what he's doing when he's listening to us for two hours. Uh, steak chips and a bottle of red for him for dinner tonight. Vicky uh, Heth tuned in tonight. Shane Mortimer uh, listening uh, as well this evening with an F1 question uh, that we'll give to... Uh, this week's birthday boy Nick Damon later on let me just jot, jot that down uh, system there we go um, no EFAs tonight on government orders says Brody yeah very good um, what could anyone in the UK be doing other than uh, listening to us we haven't right even now. got anything to, to any other sport to tell you um uh, up, about. Un- up until a few days ago, there had been football being played in uh, Belarus. Um, however, they're on an international break this week. Yes. Maybe next Wednesday they'll be back. No, it's going to be the following Wednesday, isn't it? Um, yes, yeah, so I don't know how we're going to tell people we're live, other than uh, uh, say we're live. Um... Uh, hello to Stephen Kills, Donkers, listening to Rob Gina, listening live, listening to the podcast during the week as well. Uh, Jerry Sisk, Spooner in Orange. Hello, mate. Uh, just rolled the Le Mans 24 day, uh, dice. Changed me furry to um, September. 
and panic buying, but only from Duke video. Very good. Uh, Sarah Rigby says, we're stood in the park opposite our house watching the International Space Haven orbit above our heads. Perfect, clear sky for it. Yes, it is tonight. Stephen Gard is listening for the second straight week. Carol Brink, ready to tune in. The sun's come out uh, in Monterey. Uh, Jules Outbridge firing up the wireless. Bit of uh, an air of authority in a world of madness. I'm not sure of that. An air of madness in a world of authority, perhaps. Gonzo listening in tonight. Uh, the lockdown in central France continues. The lawns have been mown. A good English dinner of sausage, chips and yummy sauce, which uh, a little bit of car, no coffee, noir coffee to uh, wash it down. Simon Hoff listening in live tonight. Barry Bond, Stephen Ch- just been out to watch the uh, space station. Lovely thing to watch. Uh, lovely outside, says Serafina Chu. Stuck in my flat during lockdown, but looking forward to the show. Uh, Michael Denny, uh, I'm locked in for tonight's show. Yes, I see what you did there. Chris Ring, no FAs. Sonny Cornwall, missed the news this week. Anything happening? A bit. Alan Prosser. dark in Cornwall as well. Yeah, very dark. Uh, no chance I'm missing this one, says the crossbelt. And Alan Prosser has even fa- managed to take a picture of the ISS going over the south of England at the moment. David Two Bruce, hope everyone's keeping indoors where possible and is fit and healthy. We certainly uh, add, add our thoughts to that. Snowden Vienna today, says Jean Chauvet. Hello, JJ, how are you doing? Good evening. Uh, and Turner Motorsport, listening to Adrian Michael Reese practising for an online race at the weekend. Patrick Dron listening. Ben Williams, working from home, listening. Jonathan Main as well, uh, listening in. Latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Another big audience this week. Here's the top story, Tim. Shuffle the papers. Or should I say shuffle the calendars? Because there's been a fair bit of calendar shuffling this week. I mean, one of the big benefits of the coronavirus situation is that I get <laughs> I love to do, you looking on the you looking on the bright side I get to do calendar news at a time where we wouldn't normally be doing calendar you news you do like a nice calendar don't you uh, shall we start with ACO calendar news yes and we'll go into a bit more detail with that uh, later uh, because they've announced uh, more details about the rescheduled Le Mans race which uh, is taking place on the 19th and 20th of September yeah uh, so we now know there will be no test day. No test day. Test day is a relatively, given the near hundred year, uh, near hundred year history of the twenty four hours of Le Mans, uh, it is a relatively new uh, addition. Uh, we used to have pre qualifying, which I always thought was very cruel, dragging people to central France and not even necessarily letting them into the race. Uh, test day. So, uh, so no test day. Who gone. will be the big losers from not having a test day other than people who own private jets uh, in the Detroit area? Uh, it will be anybody who uh, rents out accommodation in the uh, 72nd uh, area of France. Well, they won't because, of course, you've still got the uh, 24-hour moto. Yeah, but you would have had that anyway. Not on the same weekend. No, but you would have had that anyway. You've yeah. still lost a weekend's you've event. lost a weekend. Yeah. Uh, scrutineering will take place on the 13th and 14th of September. And uh, as yet, we don't know where that's going to be. That I, I suspect that will be downtown if possible, but it might well be at the track. So the 13th and the 14th is... Uh, Sunday and Monday. So Sunday, Monday. So as it normally would be if inter- it was in June. It, yes, in terms of where it stands 
where the race is, yes. And then free practice will be on uh, Wednesday the 16th. And qualifying will be spread across Wednesday the 16th and Thursday the 17th. So that would be, that is roughly the same. Although we haven't seen the times of that and whether there will be additional. I, I, I certainly reading what Pierre Fion uh, and the ACO sent out, it looks like there might be a little bit extra free practice to allow people to get familiarisation laps in. Yes, it may be that uh, some of the support races uh, aren't there. that were scheduled aren't there. Yeah. We'll know a little bit more about that tomorrow uh, when we're due to get an updated calendar for the European Le Mans Series and Michelin Le Mans Cup, which of course includes the Road to Le Mans races uh, that normally take place yeah. at Le Mans. So 19th and 20th is the race and the 21st, which is the Monday, as ever, post-race technical checks. That will become important in a moment Pre-race. when we discuss post-race technical checks on the 21st. Oh, sorry, on, on the Monday. 21st, yes. Yeah. Um, that will become important later when we uh, talk about uh, another series calendar in IMSA, which we'll do in a minute. Uh, DTM has announced its updated calendar. That hasn't started yet, has it? They didn't get anything started. DTM no. has not started right. and will now start uh, at Zolder. Uh, no, it won't. It will start <laughs> at the uh, Norris Ring oh, okay. on the uh, weekend of the 10th to the 12th of July. Right. Uh, they will then go either to St. Petersburg or Anderstorp uh, at the end of uh, July, 31st of July to the 2nd of August. That's quite a bit difference either or that, isn't it? Yes, it's down to uh, logistics because later on in the season there's another either or, which is the same two tracks. So oh, they're, I see. They're working out the best way to get uh, yeah. to and from each of those locations. Okay. Uh, round three is Zolder. That's on the seventh uh, to the ninth of August. Brands Hatch will be the twenty second and twenty third of sep- uh, sorry of August. Mm. Uh, Assen the 4th to the 6th of September Nürburgring 11th to the 13th of September so not a lot of gap between Assen and the Nürburgring but No but they want to get that in before Le Mans don't they? Two two hours drive anyway so it's not a long journey Uh, After the alternate Andersdorp St Petersburg weekend uh, which is the first weekend of October they then have two weeks before they go to the Lausitz Ring then another two weeks before they go to Hockenheim, uh, and they finish at Monza on the 13th to the 15th of November. Mm. It's going to be a congested end of the season, particularly given what IMSA announced this week as well. Because IMSA have announced some changes uh, to their calendar as well. Yep. Uh, And earlier on, you spoke to Shay Adam about uh, uh, what those changes uh, entail. It pretty much is just a little bit here and there fine-tuning to try and make sure that we can get in all these races and still leave some buffer space on the back end of the season in case anything else changes, in case we have any opportunity for a race to move later in. We already know that Sebring is the grand finale. That's going to be the weekend that the Encore was supposed to be, the Michelin Encore, not happening this year, November 12th through 14th. The race previous to that is Petit Le Mans. That has moved uh, up a week, so that will now be October 14th through 17th. They've shifted that because they've squeezed in with a lot of butter and 
lots of other uh, squishy stuff. A lot of hand soap, I think, is what you like to say. Mid-Ohio, September 25th through 27th. That's a familiar date because that was previously announced as the Nürburgring 24 weekend. But it's that weekend for Mid-Ohio because the week before, remember, now the 24 hours of Le Mans. In response to Le Mans being in that weekend, we've now got Laguna Seca. The WeatherTech round will be taking place the first weekend of September. So that's September 4th through 6th. VIR is August 21st through 23rd, so two weeks prior to that. And Road America is three weeks before that even begins. So we've got some windows as the summer pans out. But basically what the schedule looks like now, we go from Daytona, Belle Isle, which as of yesterday, on a conference call to all the partners of IMSA and to all of these supporters, John Doonan said, it is still on the calendar. They are monitoring it day by day. But for now, we go Daytona, Belle Isle, Watkins, Mosport, Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, sorry for the Canadian in me, Lime Rock, Road America, VIR, WeatherTech Raceway, Laguna Seca, Mid-Ohio, Petit Le Mans, and rounding out the calendar at Sebring. Uh, realistically, that's going to, at the end of the season, those new dates cause some logistics issues. Um, I have seen people on the socials say that you can't get a GT, well, you can't get a car back from Le Mans in time for that race and re-prep it because if you've come anywhere in the race, your scrutineering's not finished until Monday afternoon. And there's if simply, you're lucky. Yeah, uh, there's simply not enough time to turn, turn uh, a couple of cars or a car around uh, and get it back. Um, does that suggest to you then, Shea, that uh, particularly given the fact that we'll have six IMSA GT Le Mans cars, GTE cars, out there, that when we go to mid-Ohio, there won't be any GT Le Mans cars on that and, and not have those on the, on the schedule? Uh, honestly, no, it doesn't, because... We're going to have cars, for example, WeatherTech uh, Racing is entered for the 24 Hours Le Mans. We know that Cooper will be in that car. That will likely be a second chassis. But we've also got teams like Performance Tech, who are entered in the LMP2 category. They've got one car. That car will be where at Le Mans, as expected, assuming that it comes out of Laguna Seca, okay, and everything goes well there. Are they not going to borrow a car in Europe? I do not believe so. I believe they were going to bring their one chassis over. I, I will double-check on that, uh, contact the team and find out. Well, and the WeatherTech car, that, that runs, obviously they don't run their IMSA car at Le Mans because they're running GTD, don't they? Correct. And that is one where you, that's a little bit more of a, a different situation, but the, the problem remains the same. There are three C8Rs, the Chevy Corvette, in production right now. There, there are three racing. That would be the one that ran the WEC, or the one that was supposed to run in the WEC at Sebring, I should say. And then the two that run in IMSA. There aren't more chassis. They are not allowed to build more chassis as far as we know, because Corvette have always been under a tight rule from Pratt & Miller that they are only allowed to build so many cars. All of those would be in France, presumably, for the 24 hours. You'd have the two primary race cars, and you'd have the third car as a set of ruling spares and, and, and the spare chassis. Exactly. And that situation is no different from how it's been any year prior. 
But you've got a two-week window between Lamar and then getting to Watkins Glen. It's tight for those guys and girls to try and turn the cars around with a two-week window. You're talking about going to Mid-Ohio, though. That's a track that has so much provenance and so much meaning for Corvette racing because it's a track that's so close to their heart and soul of their operation. The only team that's not affected in this in terms of GTLM is BMW. And they're going to want to be at Mid-Ohio because that's also their home race. It's right in Bobby Ray Hall's backyard. That's a good point. That is a very we, good point. It doesn't affect Porsche perhaps so much because one presumes that there might be other Porsches available for the IMSA team for Court Autosport and the uh, Porsche Racing North America GT squad to use. But it's still a situation, John, where those exact cars have been loaded up onto freight in the early, early time of May to be sent over for a race in the middle of June. So this is a situation where all the IMSA teams now have a big decision on their hands. And even the drivers, when you think about it, because they have to do a double where you're flying from California to France to Ohio in the span of three weeks. It's a lot of travel. And a lot it's a of dri- lot of back and forth. And a lot of driving if you've been uh, pulling your weight, as they all do, at, at the Le Mans 24 hours. What's interesting to me about that is that IMSA have, have moved the Californian round at WeatherTech Raceway, Laguna Seca, to allow the uh, IMSA teams who want to go to Le Mans to be able to get there because, of course, it would be scrutineering uh, on the Sunday, the original Sunday of the WeatherTech event would have been scrutineering. So, you know, that makes a lot of sense to me that, that they've given them a bit of wiggle room. I just think it's going to be too tight uh, on, yeah. the, on, the, on the way back. Ultimately, though, really speaking, and, uh, you know, it's good to get these data in the diary, isn't it? I, I, I like the fact we talked about this with John Doonan last week on Midweek Motorsport. I like the fact we've got something to look forward to for uh, Sebring and the uh, the Mobile One Sebring 12 uh, hours uh, uh, and putting these dates in now gives people something to something to look at and something to look forward to. And to be honest, John, that's what we all need right now. I mean, it's so difficult to not know. Forget the the financial part for mm. one aspect. The, and that's the, a, I mean, that is a big part of it, isn't it? It is. It is. But we are a family. So right now we are completely spread out to literally every part of the world where the listeners can always come together and join us at a racetrack where we're all happy to be there. Right now we're all spread out. We're all wondering what our friends are doing. We're all in different time zones. We're all experiencing this loneliness for the first time ever because racing has never come to a halt like this before. Then you throw in the financial aspect once again. The fact that people aren't getting paychecks. Think about the small teams for a minute, because we've got FAF, who announced yesterday that their dealership in just north of Toronto, up on the 401, that's closing on the 400. It's closing because they can't sell cars right now at this point in time. You've got so many teams that rely on their primary source of income to then fund the race team. Well, their primary source of income, if you're a car salesman, you're not selling cars right now. So there are there are people who are directly involved with racing who are feeling the strain beyond the mechanics, beyond the engineers, beyond the drivers, the commentators. It is everyone who's really having a hard time right now. 
And then we get this phone call, this opportunity to jump on a line where we know that we're all on it because we all want that little yes, bit of information. True. So the beeping that was going on yesterday as everybody was jumping on the line was hilarious. But to get that little glimpse of hope, to know that we will be together the third, the second week of November, the third week of October, the last week of September, to know that these dates are out there, they're tangible, and there's something to look forward to, it's hope. Uh, and in more practical terms, John Dean and also very keen to mention that even though that IMSA and their offices are effectively closed down and everybody is working from home, things like entry fees uh, are being uh, considered and, in fact, they're uh, going to make sure that nobody has any financial difficulties. I don't think there's any need to go into all the background that we heard on that call yesterday. But once again, you know, thinking just beyond getting some dates out, uh, it was very much a from President Doonan, a presidential uh, um, address to say to people, listen, everything's proceeding. Once we're ready to go racing, we will be ready to go racing. And, and, and again, to your point, I, I found that um, quite calming. Yeah. No, it, it definitely was. It was a, we all want to be back together we all want to be doing this but we all want to be there we don't want to do anything that's going to give anyone any unnecessary risk and you're completely right there wasn't any sense of voice fluctuation necessarily from no sensationalism no no it wasn't and it, it wasn't anything um extraordinary it was the message that was being delivered it reminded me a little bit of a fireside chat because it was as if fdr was out there to reassure us that it's dark and difficult times now, but we will get through this and we will get through it together. We're just not going to do anything unnecessarily that would risk the possibility of us being together. Sure, thank you very much for keeping an eye on that and we'll speak to you again uh, next week. Stay safe. I will. You too, John. Uh, Sure, Adam. uh, I talked to her a little bit earlier on uh, this afternoon uh, about that. I'll come back to that um, Le Mans in a wee while. A couple of tweets coming through. Jesse's going to be uh, pulling encroachment permits at the Department of Transportation at Caltrans, so can't listen uh, tonight. Uh, Chris Ring, listening to all that calendar news, said, do we know if the Silverstone four hours will happen early June? No, it won't. Whether it happens in its spot where it is now is unlikely, so it'll have to move somewhere because that's uh, either an extra race this season for WEC or um, another race for next year, in which case it will have to move. But as Tim said earlier on, we're going to get some ELMS news, which would, I'm sure, give us the clue. If you go back and listen to last week's show, uh, by the way, Chris, Gerard Navo very, very um, good at telling us where the thinking was uh, and pretty insistent that Le Mans this year will be the end of the 1920 season and that's the important thing to get done first before we start thinking about 2021 and uh, they would like to get another ELMS and WEC racing before Le Mans in September to give everybody a chance. Uh, AMR says how does the reschedule of the 24 hour race affect the commentary team and everyone behind the scenes uh, of Radio Show Limited on the newly scheduled weekend or is it too early to ask? Uh, it, so long as we 
can find the commercial partners to go and do it. And the ACO have already uh, um, talked to us about that. And the responsible adult had, then that, I, I presume, will be all right to go so long as we can travel. And it, if we can't travel, then other people can't travel. Uh, hello to Dave, who's listening in tonight. Jonathan Main. Uh, something very special with the feel of IMSA season starting at Daytona and finishing at Sebring. I wonder if that's something they might consider keeping for 2021 and beyond. Uh, it's the spring break thing, isn't it, for uh, Sebring that's always been good. Uh, uh, hello also to Phil Anson, who's listening in in Dubai. Thanks for lending us your ears, Phil, for this evening. And I uh, hope you're keeping safe out there as well. On the topic of Porsche GT, Le Mans works drivers in mid-Ohio, the N24 that same weekend. A couple of IMSA drivers needed for ring duty. Absolutely right, uh, RTL. Uh, and that will be a, an issue as well for some of the drivers. Uh, and uh, keep the tweets coming in at Specutainment. Um, talking about IMSA there as we were, IMSA did have some live racing at the weekend, although it was on a virtual platform. And whilst the racing might not have been in real life, the competition was as real as ever. Bruno Spengler came home as the winner. I spoke to him earlier in the week to congratulate him about his victory and ask him just how they'd started preparing for the event. We took that uh, seriously. Um, I'm also a kind of person, you know, whatever I get involved into, I want to do it properly and I want to get results out of it. Um, I don't do anything just uh, out of out of the blue and, and hope for the best. So if I do something, I want to do it well. And um, yeah, I mean, sim racing, I think nowadays is getting more and more um, important, uh, especially during that very critical phase we're, uh, we're having right now. So I think um, it's just uh, an amazing tool to improve yourself as a racing driver and also from the IMSA side to organize such an event. And yes, it was it was very difficult. I mean, one and a half hour. Um, also because, um, yeah, it was um, Nicky was very fast and he, you know, he didn't do many mistakes apart from the one that made me overtake him. But he was a it was very cool to have him as an opponent and we had a good fight and it was tough because it wasn't like a you know a one and a half hour race where you just could uh, relax and, and lay back it was a pushing race from lap one until the last lap and i sweated a lot you know it's um it's it's demanding especially for concentration and um i would say it's even more demanding for concentration than the real real racing you know is that because you don't get the physical cues that you get in a race car, it's not like you're being moved around. So I know you're not getting shaken around on the bumps like you would have at Sebring, but that means that the only uh, clues that you're getting about what the car's doing is what you can see and what you can feel through through the, the force feedback on the steering wheel, presumably. Exactly, yeah. So it's, um, as you said, you know, it's just, um, it's just, related to view what you see um your reflexes the force feedback you get through your steering um and also the pedals but the simulator doesn't move so it's it's very very important to stay focused 100 uh, percent every lap but if you lose focus or if you lose concentration for a second or, or half a second you're going to miss the apex you're going to lock a wheel you're going to go wide mm. you're just going to lose a little bit in every corner 
And that's why focus is so important in sim racing. It is also in, in real racing, definitely, but it's just a different kind of focus because, as you said, in a real car, you're being shaked around, you know, you have the G-forces. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on that helps you or, or makes you keep your focus. Yeah, and a lot of stuff that you're used to feeling as well. You know when to put in a bit of opposite lock because you've already felt the car starting to move. That's almost like muscle memory for you guys who, who do it so often. Us mere mortals have to think about that. You guys almost do that as a as a, an automatic reflex. Um, BMW takes esports very, very seriously, don't they? Yeah, I think um, yeah, I think I think BMW they they just um, they're just like racing generally you know it's it's something they have in their blood since a very long time and and since we can't race right now i think um in the last couple of months even before now you know in the last couple of months you, we could see some more and more bmw teams us um drivers getting involved into some official races on i racing and things like that and um i think it's it's also because such a platform as 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 i racing is very very close to reality what with you know setup of the car feel of the car tracks um all that it's very close to reality so i think even as a driver you know it i learn stuff on i racing that i can try on the racetrack when really? i go back on the racetrack because wow. i can see similarities on my driving style in i racing that i have on the racetrack so stuff that I have to work on, I can work on on iRacing, which is great. Um, and I think also BMW sees that. And, 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 and also on the setup side, you know, there is a lot of stuff you can do on the cars to, to change them, to improve them. So I think this is uh, the reasons why also BMW like the, you know, the sim racing and iRacing, because there is um, so much stuff you can do on it. And you can just keep the racing going, whatever, whatever happens, actually. In the Michelin Post Race Tech interviews that we did with you, Yesi and and with Nicky. Nicky um, was talking about um, the the organisation behind what you two were doing, and we got a lot of Twitter messages from the fans about a bit more detail uh, in that. He also mentioned your sim rig, and he said your sim rig was giving you an advantage. Uh, typical driver, you see, he had to find an excuse for you to beat him, Bruno. To be honest, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we've had a lot of questions. I, I, I'm gonna, I'll fire a few into you. Tell me a bit about your sim rig first of all. What sim rig do you have? Is it is it an off the shelf one, or have you put it together uh, it, with different uh, manufacturers? So I, I'm, my sim rig, I put it together with different manufacturers, but um, the rig is from Heusingveld. Um, also the pedals, which is a great setup. I'm very happy with it. Um, my steering wheel, just the wheel on its own, is from Cube Controls. Um, with, it's amazing because there is a small dashboard on it, and you can just uh, customize the dashboard as you want to customize it. Um, and then I just have a yeah a, P, a regular PC a good a good PC a good performing PC which all the guys have pretty much um, and three uh, TV screens um, around me most of the guys have one TV screen a complete one which is actually better but at the moment I have the three screens I'm happy with it and I'm gonna go with this for a, a little while um, so yeah I'm definitely happy and you know I needed a lot of help to put all this together mm. um, about a month ago. Um, uh, I had uh, two close friends uh, came by and, and, and do that for me. So um, they, um, yeah, they helped me a lot to uh, putting the sim together because it's a lot of technical work. 
um, setting it up together, and that's very important. The setup is important. You know, you can have the best rig possible if it's not set it up right. It's not going to work. So um, it was important that these guys came around um, and helped me set it up. Um, that was that was great. That was actually Alexander Voss and um, and Lorraine Einrich who, who came and, and came by and helped me setting it up because I, when I received everything, I kind of called them and I said, "Listen, I'm going to need help for this because I don't have any experience." And they were nice enough to come by and help me install all this with all the experience which was good for me. Were you and Nikki in the same place at the weekend, or were you both in your own houses? No, we are both in our own houses. And by the way, Nicky's rig is very good. He didn't say that, but his <laughs> is at, at least as good as mine. This happened very, very quickly. It was just about a week from when we first heard that it was going to happen. It was announced on the Wednesday before the race. So how much practice did you do in getting, first of all, the car set up uh, in terms of Sebring, which is a tremendously tough circuit. And was there any crossover between your setup from the real world and your BMW racing engineers and what you were doing with the iRacing setup? So, yeah, so we didn't really, um, let's say we didn't involve like BMW motorsport engineers uh, into the sim, uh, into the setup development of, of for Sebring. So it was mainly us racing drivers plus um, uh, sim, sim guys, like I said, uh, Alex Voss and, and uh, Lauren, which, which were also uh, helping us a little bit on that side. So we didn't, like I said, we didn't really um, involve people from the motorsport, um, okay. from BMW motorsport to, to, to develop the setup. It was more us racing drivers just doing laps on track and, and, and learning and trying to develop the setup and, and, um, and change things on the car through the week. The good thing is that the week before, there was the 12 hour of Sebring on iRacing 2, yes. uh, which I competed in um, with Jesse Krohn, who was also in my team, Robbie Foley, um, and Andre Melchers, which is uh, also a sim, um, a sim pro, if I can call that. Mm. Um, and Robbie's pretty so, tidy as well, isn't he, uh, on the sim? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's very, very good. Very, very good guys. So uh, you learn a lot from these guys as well, you know, when you drive around with them. Like, for example, when you meet Lauren and, and, and Alex Voss in a race, uh, in a random race online, they're just flying and you can learn so much from these guys, you know. They are they are very, very good guys, good drivers. And um, so, yeah, there was that was kind of the preparation. So the preparation started, let's say, with a 12-hour of Sebring. Um, which was a very good learning uh, curve for us because we had a setup um, pretty much um, self-made, let's say, <laughs> um, which, um, yeah, which at the end uh, we finished the race. I think we finished P12 or P13 or something like that, which was not a great result, uh, but we kept on working during the week on our setup. And the good thing in let's say in sim racing is that you can you know you can drive as much as you want in our days yes in racing series testing is more and more limited and it's i have to say it's kind of it's kind of sad as a racing driver that you can't test much and you can't drive much and it's cool you know you just get up in the morning you go in your sim and you drive laps and you try stuff on the car and and, and try stuff on your driving style and i like it it's it's um it's something it's something different. And in terms of the, the race itself, um, is it true you had people watching your tyre and fuel numbers virtually on a lap-by-lap basis and, and 
feeding information back to you and Nikki. So yes, we had uh, yeah, that's that's true. We had we had that, um, and also a bit of communications, of course, radio communication. Uh, but on top of that, uh, there is also a feature that, that I believe ninety percent of the iRacing drivers have. It's called JRT, um, which is cal- which is a great feature, which is calculating actually your fuel consumption and telling you how much you have to refuel after the box uh, after the pit stop or right. at the pit stop uh, and then it's pretty much up to you if you change tires or not um yeah so the, i mean on top of that like i said we had the, we had these guys which were definitely great help uh, but on top of that i think um like i said most of the guys competing in the race on sunday uh, on Saturday, sorry, had uh, that feature which is called GRT, which is a great help as well uh, in the, on, a, on a regular basis for uh, for iRacing. So the tactics on Saturday then, was it always the plan to try and do it on on one set of, of Michelin tyres? Had you worked out that that was achievable? At the beginning, it was the, idea, the idea was to keep them, to keep the set, to not change the tyres. Uh, that was the basic idea for based on our experience. Um, we knew a complete double stint is difficult, uh, but one and a half stint was probably doable with a little bit of risk, but not too much. So we decided before the race to go for that. And then, of course, you know, the guys were checking in the background if it was still reasonable to do it or not. Uh, but the basic idea based on experience was to keep them. And it worked. It certainly worked. There was a couple of ways, a couple of three ways, when we were doing our Michelin countdown to green, we talked about, you know, it not being two full stints, but it would need a fuel stop. Whether you would split the race in half, we've sometimes seen that done um, at the Nürburgring, where people don't necessarily use all the fuel. They split the, the races up into equal parts, or you could come in early, as Philippe Albuquerque did, and then refuel, put a new set of tyres on and, and go to the end. Had you had you planned all that out? Had you tried the different options and, and worked through them, Bruno, to work out which one was the was the the best I mean you had you had the advantage for sure of being at the front of the field and that always that always opens up your strategy doesn't it yeah definitely when you're in front and you're not in the pack and and and, and you know being pushed or or um yeah or pushed out of track or whatever because it's always very tricky when you have more cars together um it's uh, it's tough fights out there so it was good to start at the front definitely and then about the strategy we didn't let's say we didn't um made it make it we didn't make it that complicated we just said okay we go for the for the one strategy we think um should be working and is the simplest let's say is just to fuel to to fill up the car completely and go out and see if there are moments where you can save a bit of fuel um to to get the last to have the last stint as short as possible or if you can't save then you just refuel what you need to refuel so we kept it simple Mm. and i think um, that was important it really made the race interesting. I, I I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And it seems that the fans did as well. There's been a, a lot of online racing pushed t- to the front of people's consciousness uh, recently. Um, 
it seemed like IMSA and iRacing did a, a heck of a lot of work. I was very impressed with the guys at iRacing that we worked with uh, at the weekend. Were you surprised at the amount of feedback that, that, that's come from the, the IMSA race? Us, us guys in sports car racing, we're not F1, we're not NASCAR, but it seemed as though the fans of both sim racing and real-life endurance racing uh, really got on board at the weekend. Yeah, that's right. So I was, I was expecting... Um, because iRacing um, is a very professional platform and there are already some races which are broadcasted, um, like the 12-hour, 24-hour, 6 hours. So I was expecting people to watch, but mainly people who are already watching uh, sim racing. Yes. But, you know, when after, like during the race or after the race, uh, when my wife told me how many people were watching, um, I, yeah, I was a very nicely surprised it's great you know and um to get people on board who normally watch imza um the the, the real imza series that, that that were watching us on the iRacing imza was was amazing and and to see afterwards also um i mean to have you guys involved you know that was great you know with your commentaries and and you being there and and making the show um to have journalists uh, calling you after the race and and, and the days after is uh, is something special, and 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 I think it just shows what what we can do with sim racing, and it's um, it's great advertising for it, um, and it's a great show. So I'm very 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 happy to 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 see we could entertain people who right now um, they are not there's not much sport going on on TV or anything. So um, it's great to be able to entertain with such a platform. Yeah, and that's a good point. You guys ran in a special livery, which was hashtag Stay at Home. Um, and that's an important message to get out there uh, at the moment. And, and, I, and I think from the feedback that a lot of people got that. And one of the, the nicest messages that I saw was uh, more than one or two people tweeted to us and was, was on our Facebook group saying, do you know what, for 90 minutes... I forgot about everything else, and I had a smile on my face. And and frankly, Bruno, that that's all anybody can expect. And and it's actually for me that that made that made the day for me. Yeah, and you know what? That was exactly the same for me. Actually, I was in that car, or in that same, for um, for over ninety minutes, and I was nervous before the race. You know, I was during the race. I was sweating. I was nervous. I was. I was totally concentrated on what I was doing. And after the race, when I passed start finish and won the race, I had goosebumps. And for these 90 minutes, I was somewhere else. And I also totally forgot about all was everything that was going on. And I'm so happy that we could share that feeling with other people and that other people felt the same about it. Yeah. Because we have to stick together in these times. Um, we have to stay home. And if we can entertain and if we can do things together to make that time pass a little faster or to make that time slightly easier and that, that's great it was very enjoyable i hope it's the first of many um obviously we want to be back at racetracks as soon as we can but only when it's safe uh, and everybody can be uh, well looked after bruno spengler congratulations uh, you've marked yourself out now though haven't you there's a target on the back of your bmw when we go back and do this again <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, probably, probably. I'm already looking forward to the next race. I think it's gonna be uh, the competition. It's gonna be always very tough in these in, in these sim races. So um, because everybody can drive as much as they want, so competition is gonna be definitely tough. But um, I hope there's a, a next a next one coming very soon. And um, yeah, I'll see you guys and, and talk to you guys very soon again. I hope. Bruno Spengler there talking to us on Monday. Moving on to Formula One now, Nick Damon. Hooray! Uh, is that right? Do I go hooray or hello? quite a short one, really, wasn't it? Well, yeah, no, I, 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 I think it was only, there. only 25% of the uh, the full hooray, isn't that? You, what you, well, I was, wait, I was waiting for Lando Norris to log on to my, um, to my listening. Ah, uh, okay. okay. Yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, we've lost some more Formula One races. Baku has gone. Misplaced, misplaced mode. Yeah, Canada is 50-50, which means it's off. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think currently now the next one that's due up is France, isn't it? For the back end of June at uh, Paul Ricard. So, yeah, they, they, yeah they, that's what's going to happen. They're, they're going to drift away. At some point, we're going to start keeping races, but we, we're not in a position where everyone knows what's going on at the moment. And, and I think as you... Uh, said uh, earlier the international races being rearranged will be lot will be after smaller races so um yeah it's it's an interesting situation i think uh, it's, it's obviously ever changing um, case cherry and cherry case cherry uh chase carry um Spooner isn't there, um, and uh, Ross obviously is still trying to work out what the calendar is going to be, which of the races they can rearrange into it. Do you think um, fourteen to sixteen is is um, over optimistic from Case Cherry, which is what I'm going to call him from from now on, you. of course. Um, no, not really. Not, I mean, you know, if we start, say, say we did start with France, which is what would theoretically be round eight. Well, that's fifteen, uh, f- yeah, fifteen rounds actually there because uh, we've got 22, and then they just slot two more into the um, summer break and perhaps stick Bahrain back-to-back one way or the other with Abu Dhabi, and you're, you're back up to 18 again. I, you know, I think almost certainly we're going to lose some more. You know, everyone said the serendipity of starting the 70th season at the British Grand Prix as they started the first in 1950 would be a, a, a nice thing, but they've they've got to get to eight. Um the longer it drifts on, the more difficult it is to to get European racing because of the weather. But you know, it, it'll be what it'll be, and they and at some point they'll 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 take the plunge and get going again. We just don't know when. I mean, they're not. I don't think they're going to call the season until they literally have no chance of not getting eight or nine in. Could could it go across the the year, Nick? Could we see races in January? Um, there's nothing to say you couldn't see it. I think I think again, you get to a similar sort of. Uh, situation that you have with um, the extension to the football season that there's a kind of a hard stop at normally um, January 1st, December 31st for driver contracts, sponsor contracts, everything else so it's very difficult to go over those hard just as football is finding that it has a hard stop at June 30th and much they want to carry on playing to get these things finished they can't because people aren't in contract mm. and you can't you can't you know you can't just muck it about because you want to these no. are kind of written stone so my guess is no um, they wouldn't go over the year but okay. you know you get you know if you started in in August you can get nine or ten rounds which is what you need to do Okay. Uh, the other big news this week for Nick to talk about is the postponement of the uh, introduction of the new regulations, which were meant to come in the 2021 season. Now, the question that came in earlier on was, does that mean um, that, and this is a dead easy yes or no, does that mean that the Merck Clever 
uh, rack system will be allowed next year? Don't know. Okay. I wasn't expecting a don't from you. I was expecting a yes or no. I don't know which regulation has been rewritten to um, say that the... St- I don't know that's a 2021 specific regulation or a general construction regulation. Whether it was a sporting or a construction regulation. They are, All right. they are supposed to be holding over the regulations. I mean, the bigger question actually is by the letter of the law, um, because the key thing is that the... the there are several parts that the teams won't be allowed to redesign as part of this holdover. So they can't say, hurrah, 2021. Basically, it, you know, it becomes, the, the cars will be, at best, mildly derived. Versus, All right, except, except for McLaren, who have, an, have announced no. that they are going to change their engine. They're still going to change their engine next year. Yeah, and officially, you're not supposed to change the monocoque, um, which, you know, even though these engines are very standardised now, with standard, you know, lengths of the engine, standard um, crank heights and everything else, obviously the ancillaries are all in different places. And a switch that from would have been a change of gearbox, a change of rear end, and presumably a copied nose the same as... The aero surfaces are free. You can change the aero surfaces from year to year. That's not a problem. Um, But yeah, I mean, there will have to be a conversation about that because they will have to change the monocoque. Um, Now, again, that's a contract. The contract's been signed. You can't, I mean, Renault have no reason to go back and and say, here's another year. Mercedes, Mercedes, you know, McLaren wants to go with Mercedes. So someone's going to have to sit down and work out the force majeure element of that. And work out that when they do redesign the monocoque it's not a mono- it's, they haven't gained anything out of doing it they've just changed the mounting points and the correct location of the various ancillaries but it's another headache but this is the thing it, it seems very easy oh we're going to do this we're going to do that but there's always knock-on effects you know and unexpected consequences and and uh, presumably though nick most teams won't want to do an awful lot with next year's car knowing that they are going to have to change in 2021 and indeed some of them will have already have embarked on the designs for the new regulations so it conceivably they would run the car pretty much identical to the end of 2020 all the way through 2021 and and that surely does give McLaren an opportunity here to where with other people perhaps not spending so much money for them to gain a performance advantage by saying, well, we've had to do this, we've had to change our, our power unit. Yeah, I'm not sure if I agree with that, John. I think that, you know, the, the fact is that uh, the, the teams are staring down the barrel of, of reduced money this year just because there's a reduced number of events. Are they really going to take the risk of being uncompetitive? Uh, to, F1's not much on jam tomorrow once it's jammed today. And are they going to take the risk of being uncompetitive and falling down the, the ranking Good order? Point. Um, Good point. By not open the car. Now, I think, you know, there obviously does mean that realistically, because 2021's rules introduction was so was so late, actually giving them this extra year actually kind of puts it out to the, to the time frame it should have been in the first place. <laughs> um, and, and the thing to remember is that one that will come in next year of all the changes, so, so we won't see the, the bigger Pirelli tyres, bigger wheels, sorry. Um, that won't come in, obviously, because you can't run in the cars. But we will see the for the cost cap coming in. Mm. Now, it's not the most draconian of cost caps, but it does mean that uh, people are going to need to look at the way they allocate resources. They've got longer to look at 2021. They've got longer to sort out 2020. And it does mean that some of the teams who've been a little bit kind of like, oh, this hasn't gone very well so far, like Ferrari and, and to a lesser extent Haas, who were thinking of going, oh, let's not bother. Let's go straight to 2021 new regs, are now going to have to take a different view and, uh, and, and effectively try and get themselves back on the back on the show again 
um, once we're up and running again. But it's uh, it's it's added to the, the, the this year is going to be a truncated short year, uh, and it's going to be very different. And I think all the foregone conclusions we thought were going to happen aren't. And I think it becomes more open because of the the lack of races. Because suddenly, you know, a single breakdown becomes, you know, rather than being one twenty second of the season, it could be one twelfth. That's a big big difference in these in these reliable days. So. There's a lot of things we decided. Obviously, again, let's just hope we get some. Let's hope we get a season away. Let's hope we get yeah, safe. Let's yeah. hope we don't try and muck it about. I mean, I'm relatively confident. Seeing, I think we're all ready because seeing how the China have managed to get things pretty much under control in three months, theoretically, we could all do that. You know, then you're looking at European racing starting you know, in the beginning of August. Yeah, we might lose the British Grand Prix, might have to get pushed back or not happen, but then we should still be able to get a full season. And I should say that's Nick's view on, on that, and it it might not actually come to pass. You listen to Midweek Motorsport. Uh, hello to Sir <laughs> Phil, who says. Uh, he says, can we have a big thank you to Silverstone UK for the early call last week on the BTC cancellation for the fans and the email uh, this week. Done it. At Specutainment, if you want to get in touch with us. A busy second hour to come. Let's go on to uh, two wheels. David Faulkner's joined us a little bit late, but he did bring a note, so that's no. not too bad. Where would you like to go next, Tim? Two wheels. Oh. As you just said. Uh, first of all, congratulations uh, to... Uh, Dan Linfoot, the BSB rider who got married at the weekend. Oh, well he did. Oh, Declan, hello. Were you there, Declan? I no, was not. not. Uh, I, I was socially distancing by several thousand miles. And, so, and uh, lack of invite. Invitation. Pre- precisely. That's, that was obviously second. First was obviously the safety of all of the other guests. And secondly, the obvious, uh, to everybody, the obvious fact that I wasn't invited. Uh, from the photos I've seen, uh, the only guest appears to have been the photographer. Uh, ah. That may even have been a selfie stick, a really long one. More good news in uh, bike world. Mm-hmm. Uh, Valencia has signed a new contract with MotoGP. Uh, extending uh, the run of uh, MotoGP races at Valencia until the end of 2026. And Does it, it have remain, any? Uh, remain to be the final si- uh, race on the calendar up until that yeah. point as well. Yeah. Stipulation is that the stipulation has to be yeah. the final race? Is it one of those? It is one of those. Ah, which of course could be thrown into chaos this year. Yes, I don't think any of those things will necessarily have to carry over for for this year. Uh, right, we've got a couple of minutes uh, before half time. Anything well, in else? In that case, for Nick I've got Dix? one for Nick. Right, oh, hello. Uh, which is uh, obviously European Formula One season. What does that normally bring with it? Monaco. Update. What's normally bring with it a summer break. Uh, no. What What specifically happens uh, at the European races and occasionally? Oh, motorhomes. No. Uh, support races. Uh, Porsche Mobile Ice Cup. The Porsche Super Cup, yes. Patrick Heisman press releases. Is he back? <laughs> <laughs> has, he had, has, he it, has he had a disappointing qualifying? I've heard nothing from Patrick. And the team of Paul together has given him a great race result. He's so disappointed. Was, the weather was 78 degrees and uh, he qualified 15th. Is basically every, every one of them, isn't it? And, he, and, and he by, the, by the first corner, he's up to 8th. Um, but that was only because he didn't break. Now, obviously, the Porsche Super Cup... Uh, can't start as it should do in Barcelona. No. Nope. But don't fear, say Porsche. Right, we don't. 
talk about the Porsche Talkoya Esports Super Cup. Which is very interesting because that's uh, a, a carryover from their real world sponsorships. Tag. Yes. Back with Porsche again now. So Talkoya uh, are the title sponsor of the Porsche Esports Super Cup. Uh, and uh, as part of this, uh, there is now a prize pool of 200,000 US dollars. Blimey. Yes, that's more wow, than the that's real more than Porsche, the real Porsche, Porsche Cup. Cup. Yes. Uh, well, that's, however, that's it's paid in watches. Winning. The well, it's still worth winning. Okay. <laughs> there are thirty-six uh, drivers taking part. Right, that's more than the real Super Cup, is it not? Uh, at most races, yes. yes. Sometimes I've guessed. So there's got to uh, be some drivers. either esports specialists or some extra. There's a lot of esports. It's all esports specialists, basically. Um, the season starts at Zandvoort on the 2nd of May. Can we challenge them to somebody has to become the Patrick Fantastic of the Tag Heuer Porsche Esports Super Cup? Well, thing? we'll have to we'll have to watch out for their press releases. Yeah. Uh, it all gets underway this weekend with pre-season testing at uh, the circuits of uh, Catalonia. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that really should be the pre-season testing at everybody's living room. Uh, or, or den. Well, it is it's basement. It's what it will be. Uh, <laughs> Deck. I think we're probably done with Nick now. But Declan, um, if you don't mind, would you like to come back in the second hour? Because I'd like you to talk about Sim on TV, please. Uh, I will do my very best. Yes. All right. Smashing. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's just after nine o'clock. It's getting chilly out here. I'm going to need a hot toddy for the second half. Oh, sorry, you caught me off guard there. <clears throat> it's Midweek Motorsport, and here's what's coming up. Uh, coming up in the second half of tonight's programme, sorry, uh, De- we've just heard Declan Brennan. He will be back to talk sim racing on television. Big event for NASCAR at the weekend, big numbers for them as well. And staying on the sim racing theme, Matt Hunter from Tora and the Tora Radio Show will be answering the question uh, what is the current climate doing for sim racing there you go, Uh, your tweets please, at Specutainment Uh, we'll have a big interview uh, which is Dennis Lind uh, coming to us from Denmark Uh, that all comes up in the second hour of tonight's programme after Richard Creel This week on The Grid, your Aussie look at motorsport, we chat to Thomas Randall, the young gun from Supercars and S5000, and get the positive news on how he's dealing with his own health battle and the upcoming ARG eSports series. Supercars ace Anton Di Pasquale is also on the show to talk about the upcoming Supercars All-Star Championship, where all 25 full-time drivers will race. And then I'm joined by Tony Shebeki and Mark Walker to dissect what's going on in the motorsport world and just see how this whole sim racing craze can fill the void. It's another bumper on the grid. It's coming your way, 9pm UK time, Thursday night on RS1. And don't worry, we're not going anywhere through these troubled times. We're going to be back every week with all of our regular content and a host of specials. They're coming soon. Thanks, Creelsey. Right, let's move on to our big interview this week on Midweek Motorsport. Delighted to say that joining us uh, on the line from Denmark is uh, Dennis Lind. Good evening, Dennis. How are you? 
Yeah, I'm not too bad. Uh, we are we're coping here in Denmark, so all good. Very strange times that we're living through uh, at the moment. You you live right in the centre of Copenhagen, and you guys have been locked down for a little while. Yeah, I think it's been about three weeks like this where everything has basically been shut down. Um, like the, the, the shop just across from my window has been on and off open. But uh, but yeah, there's no no customers, and I'm I'm living on top of a bar that's usually open 24 hours, and that's been shut as well. So I can get some pretty good shot eye in the evening now, which is nice. But apart from that, everything <laughs> is uh, is a bit silent, to be honest. Uh, and how how long then before that was that already affecting you? Lamborghini Works driver, part of the Volkswagen uh, AG group. Of course, uh, uh, you have done some racing this year, but not much. Yeah, I did uh, Dubai just after New Year's and then Bathurst. Um, and after that, it's been pretty silent. I think we had one test. And apart from that, everything has been been pretty much cancelled or delayed or postponed in some way. But it doesn't seem like it's going in the really positive direction now for us. But, you know, we we're sort of seeing what the situation will be but for sure now it's 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 difficult to see when we actually get to race this year this is all part of a bigger thing and yeah um and there's people losing their lives but is it slightly frustrating for you as a as a professional sportsman that you it's not like if you're a football player or a tennis player you could go and kick a ball or hit a ball against a wall you could do some other form of training outside you can't really do much for motor racing because you can't get out and drive a car on a track. Yeah, that's true. Um, apart from, you, you, you know, it's 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 very hard as a racing driver not to look completely egoistic at, at all the issues that you face because, you know, I was probably facing one of my most interesting seasons of my life uh, with uh, IGTC, uh, GTV, WC, with uh, all with Lambos, but also Super GT, which was it's always been a dream uh, for me to race it, and and all that looks a bit dim at the moment. Um, so obviously that part of it is a bit, I wouldn't say frustrating, but it's a bit, uh, you know, I was just basically sad about the whole situation, and and obviously with everything that's going around in the world, it's, yeah, you know, I got some other eyes on it now, and you know now we're just dealing with it. Um, but obviously, it's yeah, it's it's hard not to be egoistic about it. But also now, you know, there's a lot of sympathies with people around because it's also starting to affect uh, friends, families, and you know, every every someone you know has someone affected by this. Mm-hmm. So it's you know, it's it, the the realness of everything is starting to catch up. That's a good point. Actually, it gets more real every day when yeah. you hear about somebody you know or somebody that somebody else. Uh, knows that's a very good point um let's let's drag ourselves back to motorsport um and and try and cheer up some of our listeners as well let's talk about your early career um very classic uh, introduction to motorsport um doing some karting a uh, bit of bit of driving in italy um in karting but you did a lot of karting in Scandinavia throughout 2006 and 2007 and then into Formula Ford uh, finishing did you finish second behind Kevin Mag- who's your cousin of course Kevin Magnussen your cousin did yeah. you finish second <laughs> in the Danish Championship yeah so well actually before Formula Ford we did uh, 
I did a year of uh, folk racing here in Denmark, which is a good fun concept of. It, I guess it's a bit like banger racing in the UK, but not really, <laughs> um, because you buy basically cars for what would at the time be 500 pound mm -hmm. uh, on the track, and you would race these track for club events, national events, uh, and and whatnot, and after each race, each meeting, if someone wanted to buy your car, you had to sell it. Uh, so I was driving with a car with about 15 degrees of toe out on one one corner, and the other tire was setting in the complete different direction. So, so I was kind of used to driving cars that were not really great. <laughs> you know, it, it felt like you've already been in a first lap collision or something every lap. So that was brilliant. Uh, and yeah, and after that, I went into Formula Fords. Um, I didn't do a whole lot of testing before the season started. But yes, I was driving against Kevin that season. And I think he had a bit of a, he had a, bit of a gap already when we started. Uh, but uh, towards the end of the season, I was, I was winning quite a few races. And, and yeah, I think in the end, we had five point differential and i think he won with about 250 points and i had 245 or something so it was it was pretty close in the end you you did all right in formula fords around europe and in fact won the formula ford festival after a full season in british formula ford was that 2010 dennis was it yeah, that was uh, 2010 yeah and it was it was actually just four races that season so it was like the we did the euro cup at sanford i did knockhill I think that was the first round of the UK Championship that year. That was a baptism uh, of fire. Knockhill in a Formula Ford's a bit of commitment, isn't it? It, it was scary. Uh, I remember heading out over the hill the first time and thought that was wild. But then I came into the chicane and I, you, you just see sky and you have no <laughs> idea what you're aiming for when you're sitting on the ground, basically. So that was very interesting. Um, I don't think I've went through that many drive shafts and gearbox in my life <laughs> in a weekend. It was uh, because the track is so bumpy, so you know the cars are taking a lot of abuse, and yeah, it was it was harsh. Um, so I did that, and then we went directly to Sanford uh, a couple of months after, I think, and that was the Euro Cup, which I won, uh, and then we went to Castle Coombe, I think. Oh my that was goodness! Pretty, that was a pretty cool track, I remember. We did like uh, 150 miles an hour with the Formula Forts, which was insane. Um, so. Yeah, that was that well, was no aero to slow you down, no drag there. So that so you were quick down the tubes. That must have been mental when you were getting on the brakes for the corners. Yeah, absolutely. And in you know in in Denmark we don't have long straights, so you don't really you have an effect of slipstream, but nowhere near the same when you remove all drag uh, from the cars like at Castle Coombe. I think it was the fastest track I ever went to uh, with the Fords. But people would just bump draft you in qualifying to get a better, better lap. I was not entirely used to that when I was in <laughs> the first in like a train of five cars getting bumped from behind uh, all of a sudden, like reaching the corners with like uh, 20, 30 clicks quicker than I was used to. That was a wild experience, I remember. <laughs> And Formula 4 Festival win, I mean, that was that's a big thing. Even then, it wasn't quite in its pomp by the time 2010 no. came round. But even so, Formula Ford winner, Formula Ford Festival winner at Brands Hatch. They can't take that away from you, Dennis. No. Um, well, it was... It was. It, it's a good story, I think, because uh, my, my stepfather, Eric uh, Magnusson, he, he was supposed to come with me for the weekend. Um, 
we had just uh, we had paid the start permission obviously and we needed extra sets of tires for practice basically because we we were on a very limited budget at the time um so i traded in eric's plane ticket for uh, extra set of practice tires for the weekend <laughs> so he couldn't come <laughs> so uh yeah so but i guess that extra set of tires paid off in the end and who who was who was your close compet- competition that weekend in the 2010 formula ford festival so i remember scott malvin was there just hill was there scott pie was there he's now v8 supercars driver mm-hmm. um tio elinas as well as oh really there. oh yeah there was there was some really really prominent names at the time. Um, I, I I just feel like I'm I'm leaving people out because there was there was actually some really impressive people on the grid and I see them sometimes even today, and we talk about the the good old times of Formula Ford. But uh, yeah yeah no it was it was a big race for me and and obviously it was uh, an insane experience. It was my third time doing the event I think, but the first time where we were actually competitive. So. No. At that time, then, did you still harbour ambitions of staying in Formula cars and possibly even um, following your uncle and your cousin subsequently in, into into Formula One? I never actually wanted to to go to Formula One in the first place, so I I never really had that ambition. Hmm. Uh, Why not? The, so basically, we we grew up in the nineties. Um, obviously, I'm from ninety three, uh, so I I had. A Nintendo 64 uh, and a PlayStation 2 I think was like the first console that I actually got to play a lot with and the two games that was uh, getting getting destroyed for me was uh, GT 64 which, which was Nintendo spin on IG so what was it JGTC back mm. then which is now Super GT and Le Mans mm-hmm. uh, I don't remember what the co- game was called but it was uh, a game that was uh, revolved around the 99 season, I think, of the World Sports Car Series. It, it had the Panas, it had the yeah. BMW V12, it had the Audis, it had the closed cockpit Audi, and the Pescarolo and all these cars. And I always thought, okay, super, uh, sports cars, they are insanely cool. And at the same time, you know, Formula One was in its dominance of uh, a certain Mr. Schumacher. Mm-hmm. And I think that made it terribly boring for me to watch. Um, and therefore always found sports car more interesting. And therefore it's been my dream. And a dream that was um, realised. You came through the, what, what in uh, your home country is called Danish Thundersport Championship, which is yeah. <laughs> sort of Danish touring cars, but again, but not quite. And, and again, there's a family connection because you finished in 2012 behind Uncle Jan Magnussen uh, in the championship. Uh, you were champion in 13, went back and did a bit of um, formula racing in, uh, in 14. However, you drove for AF Corsa at the ELMS at Silverstone. Yep. In, in 2014 was that was that a big turning point then then Dennis not at all um, I think prior to that I had done a test for Oak Racing with the mm-hmm. LMP2 mm-hmm. Um, and and we were just we were basically scrambling for budget because we, we've not really broken the web yet 
so to speak. Mm. Um, so I was still sort of, you know, trying to to get sponsors and and talk to people to have better deals for me. And I mean, the the dream at the point was really to drive with with Oak Racing, uh, but it was just simply not possible at the time with with the budget that we were uh, given. Um, so I did this. I was supposed to do a full season with AF Corsa with uh, Mass Rasmus, a Danish gentleman driver who, who at the time was was progressing a lot, and we we made a deal with him. And uh, you know, sometimes deals in racing that don't really work <laughs> out. And you know, it was a bit unfortunate because I was I was doing pretty well in the in the AF Corsa Ferrari, and yeah, it could have been been glorious but but in the in the end i'm i'm kind of happy that looking in retrospect i'm kind of happy looking back that i got out of that uh reasonably quick yeah yeah um we think of you now of course um we can't think of you without thinking of lamborghini um works driver for lamborghini congratulations on that and i always say to anybody who's a works driver that it doesn't matter what category of racing in. If you're racing for a works team, you're at the very highest level, whether that is Formula One, where effectively they're all works drivers, or you're driving for Toyota in LMP1, or you're driving for Lamborghini. Um, you're at the very highest level. That doesn't happen by accident, Dennis, and there's a lot of hard work gone into that. You, you proved yourself, um, undoubtedly for me, our 2016 World Finals Lamborghini Super Trofeo in the wet um, won it literally in the last few metres uh, of the race. So you took the World and European Lamborghini Super Trofeo Championships. You and Vito Postiglione were, were fighting it out for, for most of the, the season there. I, I mean, to win it in the wet in, in that set of circumstances and take that world final, that, that was a fantastic... For us, if anybody can find it on um, on YouTube, it's worth watching because it was wonderful to watch it must have been even better to be did the team tell you that you had to pass for first position when Postiglione because he'd made a mistake and he he was fighting his way back and he was sitting in in the world championship winning position world uh, finals winning position did you know from the team did they give you a pit board or did they tell you so yeah I think the that Vito he had made a mistake on one of the first few laps I think he spun and he fell back to eighth and so I was in third at the time, and I was much quicker than than second at least. Uh, so I knew that I could I could get into that position with no problems. This was a Valencia, have... by the way. We should say. Yeah. So reasonably tiny track for for the Super Trofeo, mm. which is a very high power, uh, sort of simple, kind of old school GT car in a way. Like a lot of a lot of grunt, uh, not so much in the other directions. Um, <laughs> Fast and in a straight line, though, because they didn't have so much quick. aero back in 16. Very big, very big straight line speed, yes. Um, yeah, and then obviously in the wet. Uh, he had made a mistake, and I was at the time, I think, third or second, and the team was just like, hold position, don't take any risk, just, you know, be in a position to be, to be ready for whatever situation that may come. And there I was then. Um, but then Vito, he started to progressing really quickly, and I think he got into third. Mm-hmm. And at the time, if he was in third, he would have won the championship Correct. by one point. Yeah. So the team told me that you need to pass for first. So I was like, oh, oh. And by hey. the way, I should say, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> it started wet and got wetter. 
By yeah. the end of the race, frankly, if it had been that wet at the start, I don't think they would have started the race, Dennis, because there was standing water everywhere, wasn't there? I was getting soaked in the car. That was no how way. wet it was. Yeah. Uh, my, um, so we have the, the drain plugs uh, underneath the car, you know, so, so that the car doesn't get uh, rotten when mm. it stands still if there's a bit of moisture inside. But there was so much water coming in from below the car uh, due to being in traffic or hitting a curb that one of these plugs has come up. <gasps> so <laughs> I was every time I went down the street, I had a nice sort of uh, string of water coming up my legs, which was it was a bit cold at the time, I remember. Uh, but uh, but yeah, we coped. Um, but yeah, I, I think towards the end of the race, going down the straight, you had no idea where you were. were. But you had these very uh, beautiful rear lights on the Hurricane Super Trofeo, mm. which you could always use for guidance. So you knew when to brake, because when they would start glowing a little bit higher than they used to, that probably meant braking. So that was my reference for braking. And, you know, every time you fell a bit off the racing line where people were used to driving, you'd have aqua planning. So there was some indicators you could use to know your way around the track. And then at some point, I remember... I was driving the usual lane and suddenly in front of me there was like a there was no more spray and I saw a car just a little bit out of shape and I, I think at the time he was about the leader at the time was uh, Loris Spinelli Spinelli there. yes um, he got a little bit out of shape and yeah he was about I think six seven tenths in front of me so he left the little smallest margins of gaps for me to go into and I went in there, hit the biggest puddle I've ever been in. <laughs> Aquaplaned. Looked amazing, though. It looked amazing. So the, the pass looks really good, but it was sort of uh, intentional, unintentional uh, happenings happening. Uh, so I basically aquaplaned uh, into position where I was side by side with him. And then we sort of had a drag race out the, out the corner. And he was a little bit on the curb, I think. So he lost the traction, and, and then I was in the lead. And that was the win, and that was the champ- <laughs> that was the yeah. championship. That um, was that important for you to to get that and to prove yourself in all different conditions that season, and in fact, well, for that weekend at Valencia uh, as well. Uh, uh, did did that help you with with Lamborghini and subsequently with your works drive? I think so. I, I think it opened the door uh, a little bit. Um, I mean, the season after was a very silent season for me uh, because the team that I had done Super Trofeo with went into GT3 with Blampin Endurance. That was Raton, wasn't it? Yeah, and they uh, they lost their budget yeah. uh, because I I was in a in a very very uh, privileged position at the time to not pay for my drive anymore, but just you know be around the team and and you know. Uh, not take any money, but but also not have to, having to give anything. But you know, it also made the situation a little bit difficult for me because I couldn't really set demands as much as I could before. And well, uh, we we didn't really have a competitive team under us. I think our best result was uh, Silverstone qualifying, where I put it in 46, 2.67, uh, 2.6 seconds behind Mirko Bartolotti. Um, so it wasn't the best sort of, uh, 
how you say show, uh, showcase mm -hmm. of of what I felt I could do at the time. So that was a little bit um, demotivating. Um, <clears throat> but uh, after Paul Ricard, I think the team folded, and then I did one round in Asian Super Trofeo, and then I did the World Final as well again. Uh, so, yeah, you've done a great job um, in. Uh you know, everybody thinks, oh, you know, where's this guy come from? Overnight sensation. But you work hard to be an overnight sensation, <laughs> and and you've 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 done your apprenticeship, as I would, I would call it. You were involved in my race of the year last year, which was Barcelona, Creventic, twenty four hours, Barwell, <laughs> um, yeah. where you were in the Lamborghini for Lemsky, Mark Lemmer's team, racing yep. against the Porsche of Herbert Motorsport. I don't think you guys were much more than about a minute, a minute and a half apart for the whole 24 hours, other than in the pit stops. And it's a long pit stop, uh, of course, at uh, Creventic. That was great for us to watch and be involved in. What was it like to be driving in that? Did you know you were in a real battle right from the start? We, we were, yes. Uh, I think Patrick, he did a pretty solid first stint and I think he got out ahead and was... It's like a was that? Uh, Kujala, oh, Kujala, of course, yes, yes, of course. Uh, because I had qualified the car, I don't exactly remember which position in, but we were somewhere near the top, hmm. and Patrick uh, got the lead pretty early on, and 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 made a gap of around twenty seconds in the first stint or so. And um, well, it was terribly hot that weekend. Hmm. I don't know if you remember. I do. Uh, it's lovely for us. Yeah, it was great for you guys, uh, I'm sure. <laughs> Inside the car, we didn't have much in terms of air conditioning and all that, so it was a little bit warm for us. So Patrick didn't feel too well after the first stint, so I had to jump in and do my first double. And I think that was about the time where the sun was starting to come down a little bit. Mm. And and yeah, and that was the first double of many because... Uh, when the race, when I crossed the line, I had done 11 hours and 47 minutes of the race. Yes. Uh, yeah. So it was pretty much non-stop for me all the way through. So, so yeah, I enjoyed it a lot, but it was probably one of the more uh, tough races for me to do as a racing driver, I'd say. Are you? We said we enjoyed watching it, and it was great for the fans. It was absolutely fantastic because there was nothing between you two as, as teams. It was brilliant. And, and the pendulum kept swinging one way and then the other. I suppose you don't get to enjoy that at the time, Dennis. It's only afterwards that you realise what a fantastic competition you've, you've been involved in. Is it, is it better to win driving away and not having any any pressure or is it better to win and you feel like you've really earned it when you've had a competition like you had with the Porsche that weekend so I'm I'm a very much a racer at heart uh, I love battling I love passing I love getting past I love like just, just the racing aspect of racing you know swapping positions um, if I enjoyed just being out in front and trying to get away or having an easy time doing so then yeah, I don't enjoy that so much. So, so having that battle for 24 hours was was very, uh, very, very cool for me uh, because we weren't exactly just battling for position, but it was always like the strategy call made it super important on when to pit and when to save and knowing if you had to save a lap at some point or maybe even like try to 
undercut, overcut, yeah. you know, and all these code sixties and and all these uh, other elements that play into play into the game. And slow traffic as well, and, and you're still passing yeah. cars. And we were actually watching the gap, and we normally don't do this in a twenty-four hour race, and certainly not in the Creventic series. Um, <laughs> we 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 were watching the gap change lap by lap and trying to read into what was going on with it, how far through your tyre life you were and things like that. But that's that's how intense it was for us. I mean, your garage and the and the, the Porsche garage, the Herbeth garage, must have been absolutely sensational places to be in in that fight. Yeah, I remember uh, Mark. He was. Uh you know how Mark is. He's, Mark uh, Lemmer. Oh, I've, I yeah. could tell you some stories about Mark that he wouldn't <laughs> want you to know. <laughs> we can do that after. Uh, but okay. he, um, you know how he is. He when he gets, he's super passionate. He's he's a fantastic guy to have in the pit box with you. But he's sort of, you know, when he he he's in a position where he gets a little bit nervous. He's just he gets up and he starts walking around like he he's like non-stop walking machine when. And that was pretty much it for 24 hours. And I couldn't sleep in the truck because then I felt excluded from the race. And obviously, I needed to rest <laughs> a lot. So I was sleeping in a chair in the garage. And Mark was like, get up, just get in the truck, go sleep <laughs> every time. And, and then he would find me again in the seat about 20 minutes after. And he would get a little bit angry with me. And then, yeah, it, it was good fun. And then, you know, we, we've had some good talks afterwards. And, and yeah, you know, he, he just wanted everyone to be at the absolute maximum. Because for his team, it's super important to have these wins as well. Um, so, so yeah, it was. I really enjoyed. It. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was great entertainment for for all of us watching at the track and further afield as well. Dennis, I could talk to you all night, mate. Thank you very much for coming on Midweight Motorsport. We wish you the best. Super GT with the uh, J-Lock team is where you're supposed to be this year, as well as doing all of your regular stuff in Europe and the the rest of the world. Let's hope we see you at a racetrack and uh, we can actually shake hands and not have to bump elbows or tap feet or anything like that. And we can go back to some form of normality soon. Thanks for coming on, mate. Thank you so much, John. 9.30 already in the UK. (laughs) I think we're going to need some overtime tonight, uh, John. I I think we might. Shall I do a few tweets? Yes. Uh, Matthew Hyman says Formula 1 actually quite a few people saying nice to hear Nick is the voice of reason in Formula 1 Matthew Hyman said uh, 8 races needed 8 races scheduled after the summer break wouldn't even have to add any more events could start as late as September to get a season in and he also points out he said "Hmm, McLaren powered by a Mercedes engine it wasn't designed for might have to adapt the design for that engine he said, didn't cause Braun GP many competitive issue when they ran a Mercedes uh, in, an, in, in a car designed for a Honda engine. Fair point. Fair point. And uh, Kevin Payne, among many, who said, uh, uh, nice to hear, balanced uh, input from uh, uh, insight from uh, Nick. Um, Edward Michael Reese, <laughs> one of our uh, Torah team, and we'll have another one on in the moment as soon as we get through. I think Dennis Linder's. Uh, mentioning the official Le Mans game that was called Test Drive Le Mans in the United States on the Nintendo. I got the Nintendo just for that as well, in fairness. Ted the Toyman has slept in. Uh, he's uh, going to listen to it on download while in the shed making pens, he said. And I've just tweeted, by the way, that world final race that Dennis was talking about. Uh, in the UK, that game was called Le Mans 24 Hours. 
the the best version was considered to be on the Dreamcast. Sorry, you're right, Dave. That's why I got the Dreamcast. I had a Sega Dreamcast just for that one game, and I think that's in the storage. You were the person yeah. who bought one. It was great. It ran slightly ahead of real time. So if you actually did the full 24 hours, it didn't take you the full 24 hours to do it. You could pause it when you came into the pits. And it actually it was probably about an hour short, maybe a little bit more than that. And yes, I did do a full 24 hours, but not all in one sitting on my own, obviously. Uh, Midweek Motorsport, Declan Brennan will be back with us in a little while. We mentioned Adrian Michael Reese, part of the uh, Torah team, the Torah Radio show uh, and uh, that will be tomorrow evening and joining us now is matt hunter from tora welcome to midweek motorsport matt hello matt welcome to midweek this is motorsport. 24 hours early i don't know what's going on but i do there like the posh seats it's <laughs> nice insane. isn't it it's nice here <laughs> see we get that we get the nicest stuff we get the nicest stuff at midweek motorsport Matt, in all seriousness, um, we're talking to you because sim racing, esports, call it what you will. Some of us have been involved since before it was called e- esports, and it was just called virtual racing. Um, it, it has come to the fore uh, mm. recently. Harsh question, maybe. Does this help or hinder what you guys have been doing forever and a day? Um, to be honest, with, to be honest with you, I'm I'm a, a fervent believer that that all publicity is good publicity um and i think what in fact i mentioned i I mentioned this on on our show last week i think what this has done is it's moved the world the esports racing world um into an area that probably it would have been in maybe two three years from now um where you've got much more mainstream uh channels showing you know showing esports uh in in the manner that we saw uh, last weekend in particular um, and all it's, I think all this situation has done um, is sped up that process. Um, does it help us insofar as does it help Tora? Um, yeah, um, because everyone has to start somewhere. And, yeah. you know, not, not everybody can dive straight into F1 eSports or into a, uh, an eNASCAR race and, and um, you know, fight with the best of them. So, you know, there, there is still bizarrely perhaps there is still a place for <laughs> grassroots esports racing if you will well and that was that's what i was gonna actually that's why i asked that question matt so you know good pick up there because you guys have been doing this for a very long time and let's not forget whilst all sorts of people are saying oh you know we are the people in esports this is the place you need to come to we need to get things sorted out I believe that you are still the only esports, sim racing, virtual racing, call it what you will, organising body who is actually recognised as a motorsport organiser by their national motorsport organisation. Yes, Motorsport UK, and, and have been for, blimey, um, oof, nearly 10 years now, um, which is quite impressive in itself. It, it, yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's a funny one, John, because to be honest with you, I, I sort of thought after we after we did that, um, because at the time, as you know, we weren't weirdly we weren't the biggest group. Um, you know, obviously we're not we're not the biggest group in esports racing by a long shot, 
we weren't at the time the biggest group in esports racing on consoles um but somehow we've sort of outlived everybody and and nobody really seemed to follow on with that i think the, the formula that that sort of grew organically within the you know within the staffing group at tour and obviously that has changed uh, throughout the years as as you know we all grow up well some of us grow up um some of us some some of us get married and have houses and kids of our own and everything like that and um and whatnot but but that we're still we're still the only ones we're still and, and with 13 years down the line we are now the biggest um uh esports racing console group um which is which is mind-boggling really when we're talking then about you know what we had at the weekend with mm. NASCAR and you know they're going to do more of that we know they are um IMSA with what we did with IMSA which I thoroughly enjoyed as you say not everybody could start at that very high level and not everybody has got four five six ten twelve thousand pounds dollars or whatever their currency is to build themselves a sim rig mm. it is it is far more accessible for people to fire up their xbox their playstation or whatever and and buy themselves a wheel and a set of pedals maybe a comfy seat or, or maybe just their office chair mm. and 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 go racing in that respect, are you representing still the grassroots of esports? Without a doubt, um, you know one of the reasons why um, I'll <laughs> I'll add the caveat: the majority um, of our activities remains on consoles, is because I believe it is it is um, the most cost-effective way to do this. You know, we're all you know anyone anyone who has any any understanding of sport will be fully aware of the term all the gear and no idea um i'm very much like that with rugby uh but what it means um from an esports standpoint is you, you know you can spend because and, and i've had lots of questions from from um you know ex-professional race drivers from people in tv and all sorts have asked me you know what wheels do i need how do i get into this um, and I've sort of said to them, you can do it for as much or as little as you want. You know, you can spend £100 on a wheel and be perfectly fine. Or you can spend in excess of £1,500 on a wheel and still be perfectly fine. How long um, is a piece of string, I guess? Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm very jealous of all these people who have these amazing, lovely setups with, you know, very expensive wheels and, and I mean you know um, Ben bless him he, he does an excellent job on our Christmas shows of finding the most ludicrously expensive wheel setups you can find and <laughs> and then also finding the cheapest equivalent um, for people who you know don't want to remortgage their house to buy a steering wheel um, or who want to remain married at the uh, at the end of the racing season. Is this it's not any <laughs> different though surely from somebody who says uh, uh, you know racing is a broad church Mm. Uh, you've heard me say that many times. So e-racing shouldn't be any different from that. Sim racing, virtual racing, call it what you will. There are simulations uh, and there are some very good games platform as well. Uh, and if I decide to go and buy a Citroen C1 and go endurance and 24-hour racing or, or an enduro car, Ford car, mm. then I'm going to spend four, five, six thousand pounds at the absolute outside and stick it on a trailer, drag it behind whatever car I've got, take it to the track and race it for a whole season, probably on the same set of tyres. 
And that is very, very different from a wealthy gentleman driver who says, I want to go and race at Le Mans. Esport is no different to that, then. That's what you're saying there. In essence, yeah. Although, although you know, you, you could, you know, for, for the same sort of uh, metaphor, you could pick up a cheap wheel, um, pick up the titles that you want to want to race on, be them be them on PC or on console. Um, the only difference, of course, is you don't have to stay, necessarily stay in a in a dodgy B and B or a tent before you go out onto the circuit. <laughs> don't plenty uh, of that. <laughs> But but more to the point, the world you know within the remit of whichever title you pick, the world's your oyster, and and that's one of the reasons I I um, love the sim racing world is that particularly with PC and and you know I'm I'm going back in the history to when we used to have the the um, the old uh, GTR games from Simbin um, way back when, and so that was what was that that was the FIA GT championship I think about 2005 something like that maybe a bit bit earlier and the the amount of modding that happened with things like that that then yeah. added so much additional content into yes. it you could sit I mean I, I I had an F1 game again I've talked about this on the show I had an, F, an EA F1 game that people added so many mod, mods to I had every F1 season from 1978 up to whichever the oh. latest season was at the time you know, I need never have bought another game again. Mm. Um, and it cost... So the outlay for that was, what, 20, 30 quid? Yeah. You know? Sports Car GT was the, the the game that I got into. We did online we did online games for that, um, online events for that. You weren't competing together. What you had to do was submit your game <laughs> file for the times, for your qualifying time, and more importantly, for your race time. And you submitted it, and... You know, a week later, you got the results. You weren't actually all online even together in those like, days, but we still did it. Sounds like postal chess. It, it, <laughs> it's not massively dissimilar uh, to that at, at all. So what you're seeing, Matt, is in the the excitement of everybody, you know, seeing this now on, you know, in the States, it's been on TV here in the UK. Mm. We've had it on, on TV as well. YouTube, Twitch, etc. In the excitement of that, people shouldn't think that they need to go in and and, and it has to be financially difficult for them to get involved. They can get started at a whole different level and still drive some very ex- exciting machinery in the virtual world. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, what 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 has been witnessed on TV over the last couple of weekends is mirroring you know the 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 real world motorsport level of what you would see at sebring you know at homestead uh, or at bahrain as an example and the the guys that participate in that are the best that they can be obviously in the case of the nascar and IMSA, they were literally the best they can be real world drivers. drivers yeah real world drivers yeah, yeah. yeah. um but and, and as with real motorsport beneath that you have layer upon layer upon layer of different types of championships, you know, with humongous ranges of cars, uh, circuits, and what have you, there is something out there for every person who wants to get involved in sim racing, no matter no matter where they're coming from, be they ex real world drivers or or or, or you know uh, a young chap or, or 
or lady who's who's um, watched some of this racing over the weekend and gone, do you know what? I really fancy giving that a go. There is something out there for absolutely everyone on every single platform. Just a, a little thought. That, I'm sure you're going to be talking about this on the Toro Radio Show. Um, by the way, now weekly, ladies and gentlemen. So Matt and the team normally used to be every month. Now they're every week, 8 o'clock, Thursday, UK time on RS1. Um, Kevin Poulton started a fantastic thread on the Radio Show Limited Listeners Collective earlier this week about the big debate. Should esports mirror the real thing or can you mix and match? Uh, For example, we had uh, on Saturday, I noticed that we had DRS boards out at Sebring, and that's because iRacing race Formula One there. Um, Dario Franchitti sent me a note um, yesterday to say, if we're going to have eSports, we need to have classic uh, sports cars like the 917K at the Nordschleifer, and sent me a clip of the car getting the front wheels airborne over over one of the, uh, one of the, the big jumps there at the Nürburgring. How do you stand on this then? Should should esports be slavishly following the real world, or is there room for some you know funky stuff that puts yeah, I don't know Formula One cars at Lime Rock Park or Cadwell or or whatever? Why not? Why not? Indeed, you know. <laughs> and, and I mean, I mean, so we we obviously had our our. Um, uh, his, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, 12 Hours of Sebring Historic Edition um, just the other week and whilst we wanted to have a car list that was pretty close to what would have run uh, at Sebring in the late 70s, early 80s we thought, well, there's some really good cars here that never actually raced at Sebring but they're, they're just too nice to leave out so mm-hmm. I think I think there was a big debate over over the um, the Sauber Mercedes, mm-hmm. um, which got added in, and a couple of other um, bits and bobs as well. And it's just, you know, it does it perfectly. It absolutely allows because let's, let's talk about historic racing. You know, you think yes. the amount of, you know, the the amount of. Um, I mean, I've been to the the the, 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 the Silverstone Classic a number of times, and it is an amazing event. And it's probably one of the few times you'll see a huge amalgam of different types of cars on track at the same time. Esports has been doing that for ages. But how do you guys, <laughs> Matt? This is the important question. In 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 terms of competition and in in the 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 best hope that it's a quote unquote level playing field. How do you then balance cars from either different eras or different philosophies? goodness me it's difficult enough in the real world to do that but when you open it up so far you guys have managed to do that and you i have to say you do a very balance of performance is a dirty word in the real (laughs) world it's a dirty word in the virtual world as well but you guys have managed to do that how do you do that so um and and you're absolutely right it really really is uh we have a team of really good guys behind the scenes. The thing is, what basically happens, the, the process is thus. I turn around to them and say, wouldn't it be really cool if we did X? And I get people told, don't be so silly, Matt, that's really stupid. Yeah, they go, oh, us. are you off on another one again, Matt? Yeah, pretty much. Um, and there's a lot of eye rolling, and eventually they go, and, and after a while of me going, no, but seriously, it would be good. Idea. 
eventually everyone kind of goes, oh, actually, let's have a look at it. So they work tirelessly to test the cars on every single track that we are likely to use for a given series. Um, they'll work through all the different... So using Forza as an example, obviously all the cars have a certain PI number, um, which equates to the... It's called Performance Index. Um, and whilst that isn't... You don't necessarily have to have cars all at the same um, Performance Index number to balance... Obviously, cars have different strengths here and there. A really good example was a few years ago, uh, we wanted to use the um, uh, the, the, uh, <laughs> the front-engined uh, Nissan LMP1 car uh, in our Le Mans race, um, but we found quite quickly that not only did the fuel strategy not match those of um, the uh, uh, Porsche and Audi in there, but it was ludicrously fast and could actually go a lot further on fuel than the, than the diesels could in game um so we had to work really really hard to try and get all these things to balance and we do this across a huge range of cars a huge range of circuits uh, a little behind the scenes secret with um british gt for example you'd think well they're gt3 cars they should all match or relatively match yeah. we have to produce a different bop for each circuit yeah with ever so slightly different builds so that the cars are consistent across the whole range of tracks just within one series so when you start doing that amongst uh, 12, 14, 20 cars, people like to know in advance so that they can, <laughs> they can start testing these Well, things. yes, exactly. And by the way, Darren Cox will tell you that um, the fact that the, the Nissan GTR LM um, was so quick at Le Mans just proved the concept in the first place. So, you know, he'd be on the... He'd be on the phone <laughs> telling us about that uh, and, and how, how much quicker it would have been if it had everything it needed to be. So you, you guys have got a lot of experience of, of doing that in the, in the virtual world. And that, that's no less difficult, as it sounds, than it would be in the real world. But what it does is then gives um, a, an opportunity for people to race the cars that, that they want to race. Nobody's saying everything has to be the same, and we're not seeing that. Yeah. Nobody's saying that every car has to have exactly the same performance potential, uh, because you know a front-engine car will eng- will will should uh, drive differently from a mid-engine car and have a different dynamic from a for a rear-engine car. Absolutely, and of course, you know, as with as with the real world. Um, drivers are going to be able to get certain things out of the car that you won't have been able to anticipate and a lot of these a lot of these teams they all have guys who specifically work on setups you know you may want to call them i don't want to call them e-engineers because that just sounds ridiculous but you know what i mean um people who specifically work on the car builds um for sim racing teams and, and whatnot and they're clever people and they will work within within the remit of the rules to the apps you know to to the nth degree pushing up against that the boundary of what we've allowed them to do to get the maximum performance out of it just as in real life and then you'll find teams um developing clever little clever little ways of going just that bit quicker than we anticipated and you know it, it's fantastic and as much as it is annoying um when you kind of think nope these cars are all going to be spot on we're going to have some brilliant racing and then one one clever person takes a a car about five seconds down the road and you think well, how did that happen it's also really heartening because you think this happens in real life to a great, you know, greater or lesser extent. And these are really clever people. You know, never take it away from them. They are really, really clever people. 
Yeah, and as we saw at the weekend with BMW, with Bruno Spengler and Nicky Katzberg, they spent a lot of time getting their setup right, getting their their rig set up right, and, and whether you're on steering wheel and pedals or whether you're still playing on a game pad, the way you set that up is going to make a make a difference as well. Matt, um, if if you could take one thing away, if you could push one thing into into the virtual racing world from the fact that so many people are looking at it at the moment what would it be oh goodness me um i honestly <laughs> just everyone just needs to be really open-minded just look at absolutely everything don't focus on the top guys very good just just you know look at the whole sphere do some research you'll find something you'll absolutely find something can't let you go with ask, without asking you what's on the show this week, then. Um, so, having had a quick quick little um, peep at what's coming up, they're going to be talking with Tyler Jones, who's uh, one of our staff members, actually, but he's also uh, hev- was uh, heavily involved with the uh, Forza Racing Championship. Um, so they'll be discussing... Well, they'll be discussing all the racing from the weekend, actually. Um, and I'm sure they will... I, I do also believe they're going to be funnily enough doing a uh, beginner's guide to getting into sim racing so for all those people that we've uh, just sort of um mentioned make sure you tune in tomorrow and they'll uh, they'll see you right it's at eight o'clock tomorrow night on rs1 the Torah radio show now weekly on the grid follows it as well matt you've been doing a good job for so many years thanks for joining us on midweek motorsport thanks for having me john great to be back and Declan brennan's back with us as well no i'm not uh, <laughs> it was a vicious rumour and neither is your wife I'm, t- I'm turning into that character from the fast show who denies everything when he gets out of the taxi that'll be five quid no it won't no you're not <laughs> yes uh, yeah the guys hello uh, great to hear Matt uh, tonight um, the guys at Torah they know what they're doing don't they I mean uh, they're very very um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for they're quite humble about what they do but the point I made about them being, I think, still the only online gaming association that is recognised by a national motorsport authority as they are. And the, the work that they do and their standards of, of professionalism is extraordinary. And you've worked with them in the past, haven't you? Yeah, I, I coordinated two uh, esports series with them. One, the CJ Wilton uh, Cayman Cup in 16, and then we uh, moved to the McLaren 570 platform and did the F- McLaren 570 Challenge, uh, which with them uh, when we were when we were obviously still uh, working with CJ and he was had his McLaren dealership in Arizona, and uh, that series became a qualifying round uh, of the world's fastest gamer with uh, and. They did an amazing job. We, we worked with them. The media got involved. Uh, I, the, the excellent Dr. Jonathan Gitlin from, from Ars Technica uh, sat in effectively uh, on, on race control with them and was blown away by the quality of uh, their adjudication and the way they manage race control. And they do a brilliant job. They Their balance of performance is excellent. The way they set cars up and the way they equalize things uh, to make the racing fair, the way they, they divide up the lobbies and and basically if you go in don't be afraid if you're new to this and you want to go and work with them go in and, and jump in and you'll find a level granted the the 
level uh, at the top is extraordinary because the guys who were winning our events who were Torah members were also winning uh, Forza's major uh, competitions as well or placing very highly up in those. So the standard of competition at the, at the top level uh, in, in console uh, sim racing through Torah is really, really high. But don't let that put you off. No, They're a broad church. No, and I, I, I mean, that's that's the point, isn't it, that I was trying to make there with Martin. I thought he explained it pretty well. You, you don't look at the guys at the top. He said, you know, look at the look at where you want to start. Everybody's got to start somewhere. You, you can't go straight in and, and race at Le Mans. You, you've got to start at a club event at, at Croft or Castle Coombe or, you know, as Dennis Lind was talking the other day about, you know, racing Formula Fords at obscure places in the British Isles to get, a, to get your licence up. Well, you've kind of got to do that as well. Um, that brings us nicely, uh, and we haven't got a lot of time left, but we, we, we have been given leave to go into overtime uh, tonight. And by the way, after the show tonight, uh, stay tuned. Uh, before the travel lockdown, uh, we went to Germany to a little place called Altendietz uh, to go and talk to uh, the guys at HTP Winwood. Uh, who have a phenomenal facility out there about their plans for the season. Now, the plans for the season have all changed, but it's worthwhile listening to the behind the scenes uh, as uh, it was uh, recorded, what, sort of in February uh, out there. So stay, uh, stay listening to that. Uh, the reason we've got Dex back on is to talk about Sim going on the television and effectively taking over from live sports. Now... It's it's happened in the past, Dex, and there've been some specialised programmes for uh, on specialised channels for things like uh, Madden football for all kinds of first-person uh, adventure and shoot them up games. But it seems to be motorsport in particular that has caught the eye of TV executives, and, and probably because if if you had um, a Masters series and, and Maradona was playing FIFA. It's not transferable skills from the foot and the head, is it? But in motorsport, it is. So getting Dario Franchitti to come and do the Indy Masters series, getting the guys that we had on IMSA at the weekend, the 50 IMSA drivers, to come and sit in their den or their living room and drive Sebring. There's a steering wheel and there are pedals. So I, 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 it kind of... It kind of makes the explanation to the viewer a little bit easier. Is that is that why it works? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. Yes, uh, and particularly when you're dealing with a, the NASCAR fan base, because you're specifically talking about Fox Sports One's coverage on Sunday of their NASCAR event, which is their Pro Invitation Series, which basically ran uh, a replacement event for Homestead. And it got. Uh, I'm not going to worry about the the rating. I'm not going to confuse people with the with the with the with the decimal point itself. But it averaged 903,000 viewers on tele and uh, on terrestrial television. Was that or was that on a, a satellite cable. channel? FS1. Okay, FS1. Television. Yeah, yeah, that was about 65%. Uh, no, oh, uh, well, on cable. Right. Yes. Yes. That's on cable. Sports One, John, is cable. Yeah, cut you. So cut it's you. not even a network. That well, was that was impressive. not even on a network. The it was the most watched sports broadcast of any sort on Fox Sports One since the basic uh, pro sports shutdown. 
Wow. Uh, it was, it's encouraging. People will obviously have watched for the novelty factor. Uh, the presentation of it generally was uh, they treated it like TV, and that's another thing, John, that you kind of glossed over a little bit is that with the other the other sports look like people playing games or you're watching, but which is what they are, obviously. Uh, but with with motorsport particularly, because you can pick the exact TV, you're you're, you're free to choose in the 3D environment where you post your cameras. You can put them exactly like we saw this with Sebring. You know, my favorite part, one of the, my favorite parts of watching with my wife who wouldn't watch a lot of it was she was blown away by things like the shot looking back up the Ullman Strait, yeah, which is exactly like the the shot from a television broadcast and stuff like that, like the obvious stuff that makes it very apparent that that uh, you can mimic TV, you can go into any car. It's you don't you're not reliant on on having cameras in every single car, but, well, because you do, because you can literally jump into every car, stuff like that, and and maintain, which means you can get replays for every incident. You never miss anything. Uh, while maintaining TV quality broadcast in, in many respects, you know, it's in granted it's in 1080 and yes, it's it's not as rich as as a full television, uh, but it's pretty much the same. And once you add in then Jeff Gordon and Mike Joy and, and, and the TV broadcast presentation exactly the way you guys did and treating it the same way as you guys did, for example, on Saturday in the IMSA event, you get an event that can bring people in that feels very much more real and especially when the drivers are taking it seriously which they were at the top level against uh, both on on saturday uh, for the imza seabrook event on sunday what the proof of the pudding here uh, is in the eating and the eating will take place uh, on sunday at with a with a follow-up at texas motor speedway mm-hmm. Uh, very, I'll be very interested to see what sort of numbers they can maintain for that. They might even, it might grow. It, it may grow. Uh, you know, uh, obviously, I, I'd suggest it probably might drop off. I think would would be more likely as the novelty wears off. But yeah, I was going to ask about that because uh, am I am I right in saying that this isn't part of a series? There, these are all individual events. Yes, but but it is continuing. Uh, there is a separate series. Uh, there is a separate series that runs, uh, which is NASCAR has has a uh, an esports series with iRacing that runs with a three hundred thousand uh, dollar prize fund from Coca Cola, which which runs separately. So this is separate to that, uh, right? But but I think NASCAR will be excited because they can offer value uh, to to the partners that are missing out that like the title sponsors for, for their Texas event, for example, uh, would, would have missed out otherwise, but by putting this on, they can actually add some value back. And depending on the eyeballs, it could be pretty significant. And the, but here's the big move here, John is, uh, 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 this is going on the Fox network yes. on, on, on the weekend. Uh, and the broadcast on Sunday already topped. It became the number one esports broadcast of all time. Uh, which is which is amazing, uh, but I think we have the potential for this to break easily break a million concurrent viewers uh, on on the network. Here's, on... The, here's the question, Dex: Is, is that a yeah. NASCAR thing as much as it is uh, an iRacing or an esports thing? IndyCar are about to start on iRacing with six consecutive weekends uh, of racing, and they're going to be racing on Saturdays. 
and NASCAR is going to be racing on Sunday. And I'm led to believe that that's going to be televised as well. Will we see the same sort of uh, difference between the audience for an IndyCar race than we would see for an audience for a NASCAR race? I Well, I think it, it, it will reflect reality. I think the proportions will be similar. I think the, the numbers for IndyCar for their, their series will probably be, be a significant percentage of what they would get for a regular race. And I think certainly think for the first one, and depending on how that goes, independ- incidentally, keep your eyes out for Sage Karam to actually uh, to, to, to run up the front in the, uh, the IndyCar series because he's one of these drivers that we mentioned uh, last week we were talking about it. There are guys who are, he's both a real-world driver and, a, and a, uh, an iRacing specialist. His eye rating ranking is extremely high. I think uh, he's got a, he's got an eye rating eye racing rating of over five thousand six hundred, which isn't in the yeah. pro. He doesn't automatically get the invitations to the pro leagues. You need a bit a bit higher than that, but that means he's got an A license. I only know this because of all the information that Drew Adamson and the guys from iRacing sent us uh, at the weekend. And working with Nick and Ben Constantiris, who both understand a little bit more about iRacing than than I do. I've only ever put people's racing numbers down as Joe Bradley will tell you uh, many times um, Dave Alcock says do you think this esports broadcast of NASCAR might help to arrest the declining viewer numbers of real world NASCAR racing and the issue of the average viewer demographic getting older and sort of on the back of that how much does Fox TV need racing NASCAR because they've had six postponed races so far Oh, they absolutely need it. Those numbers prove that they need it, and and that's the thing that sat up, that has made them sit up and take notice is that 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 event got nearly a million viewers on Fox Sports One. That event will get significantly higher than that on the network, and they will, and if they if they maintain it, if they if they aggr- aggressively market and treat the property like something that they have to sell to some extent. Uh, I think they will maintain those numbers. I think the numbers will be good, will be solid on, on for the network. I think there's a lot of value. Like nowadays, John, as you well know, anything it, that they're not insignificant numbers for no, no, no. for for anything uh, in in broadcast land. However, so, however, Dex, the one thing that that sports fans and motorsports fans will be getting worried about is the fact that over the weekend. There was a, a lack of coverage outside the USA. Now, normally the eNASCAR events, the Coca-Cola series that I racing do, are all on Twitch and, and that as well. Um, Tom Firth points that out. He says, "I understand it's a broadcast thing in the states, but very difficult, disappointing not to see that outside of the US." And are we going to see one of the great things about what we did with IMSA at the weekend? And a lot of people said this was people in the states could see it they didn't have to pay for it there was no breaks there was no blocks it was a global thing um if network television gets involved do we get the same formatting of putting ad breaks in do we get the same issues with networks wanting to put it behind a paywall and and then at that point it becomes self-defeating doesn't it yeah a little bit there'll definitely be ad breaks you know if if, if it's going on the network there'll be ad breaks you know it's it's just that's how modern network television works uh i'd i'd like to think they'll they'll there were put it this way there were nine cautions in the race Mm. on uh on sunday there'll be 
they'll have time to put ad breaks in. If they run it in stages, I'd, and honestly, I didn't see it. I don't even know if they did run it with stages. No, I, I presume they did. did. I don't oh, did they didn't? Oh, interesting. Well, then, then they don't naturally provide opportunities for breaks. They might just take them. Hmm. Uh, but yeah. Uh, the uh, thing is, the, the, being the, all computer-generated decks, there are other opportunities to put advertising in that you can't do in the real world. Oh, 100%. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely there you are, yes. You can paint things onto the track. Which you could never yep. do in the real world because paint's slippery. Absolutely, no, no. They're, they're, I'm sure they'll have thought of that. They'll listen. They'll have looked at those numbers and they'll think, yeah, let's let's work out how we sweat this asset. And I know they're working very closely with iRacing racing on that. Uh, uh, Dex, on uh, that point, I uh, will say. Sorry, go on. I just want to say uh, that uh, one of the ways that the workaround for people to watch this has been to watch the individual drivers twitch feeds yes. where they're where you can watch their and you can effectively direct on twitch this is something that twitch probably need to take advantage of and and twitch is, is a quite an innovative platform in some respects and i'll be interested to see what's what twitch have to say regarding how they make this uh work as a broader uh robust uh platform for 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 showing this racing globally mm. um the crotch belt, uh, who are brilliant, and if you're not follow, following the crotch belt on Twitter, you should be. Um, somewhat irreverent, sometimes a bit sweary. Um, however, great question here. How far are we from race teams in the real world adding their esports viewership numbers in their marketing presentations? Well, when things get going again, we'll see, as, as my wife beautifully put it, uh, right now, this is the uh, women's professional baseball league during the war. A league uh, of their own. It's a league of it is. It is, and as soon as the, the war is over, uh, the, the the hype will disappear and and the whole thing will fall apart because the real thing is back. So the the question is not what the numbers are like. Yes, the numbers putting my numbers together for the end of the year. I'll be absolutely using the eyeballs for this amongst other things. But what? needs to happen is they need to keep the momentum up and they need to find a way to keep this going whether or not it's fine maybe it's the sort of thing where fox sports one for example will look at how they can incorporate these events into their weekend scheduling mm. uh, and get more stars and again it'll be star driven the only way this this maintains a high level really is by, by it's everything is star driven it's by having denny hamlin and and uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. racing it and that sort of thing. And I think the Masters thing could be helpful as well with the age demographic, uh, yeah. like you talked about, with having, mm. and, and where people like Dario can race because, you know, he can get back in a car effectively and do yes. this, which is fantastic. And, and same, with, with, no. same with Dale. Tim, That's what do you one of the have? things that amazed me about the NASCAR race. I was sent the uh, driver stats in advance, um, and it's not just the current NASCAR drivers. They had... Dale Earnhardt Jr., who is only shortly retired. Bobby Labonte took part in this race, yeah. um, who had never been on iRacing before, apparently. Yeah, and he did That's all right. That's amazing. He did all right. It, it... Um, but the fact that they treated it just like any other NASCAR weekend, after the race, they held a press conference yes. for the winning driver. Yes, well, that's what we did on IMSA. Yeah. We had first, second, and third. Uh, well, the, they, I, they were just post-race interviews that we did, but there was a, a press conference uh, available to the written media uh, afterwards. Yeah, I, I know. Uh, uh, IMSA did that as well. Yeah, uh, they, 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 had, they had people in on, a, effectively, a conference call. I think that's the only way to do it, if people are going to take it seriously. Um, 
you know, there are two ways to look at this. There's you having a, a watch party with your mates or, or get, you know, Nick last night was on iRacing with Joe Bradley and Joe's mates and they were around the short course at Watkins Glen in, in Skip Barber Formula Cars. And they had a great time. And that's that's all right. That's one level. If you're going to do it and put it on national television or you're going to do it to a global audience, Dex, you, you've got to do it to a level that people, quote-unquote, believe it because you've got to be taking it seriously. It's the same as what we do with RC racing. The comp- the competition, the cars might not be real, but the competition is. Oh, 100%. And, and that's the key. And, and I think where Fox let themselves down a tiny bit, I believe is that there was a little bit of, from the broadcast booth, there was a little bit of a, a, a kind of almost not scoffing, but taking it, not yeah. taking it too seriously. Yeah. And, and, and that's where I feel, uh, you guys differed, uh, positively the day before in terms of it, it was and taken a hundred percent seriously. It was, a, it was a race, a 90 minute race with big, with big names, people, and, and all the drivers took it seriously. Nobody was messing about in the race. Yeah, the uh, and so, and, and I think that's, that's the important part. It, 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 I think that's how it survives is, is by people taking it absolutely seriously from both a packaging up marketing, media and broadcasting perspective. Okay. Here's a final point from me and then we'll wrap up. Remember we've got inside HTP when we're coming up um, after this. Um, one of the things that we have an issue with, which we've talked about on tonight's show, and I know it's almost time to go because my last log's nearly finished burning in the fire pit here, um, the, it is the scheduling conflicts that we're going to have at the end of the year. Now, with IndyCar on a Saturday and NASCAR on a Sunday in the States, that doesn't leave a lot of time for IMSA to put any any races potentially that they want to do or anybody else that, that they want to do because you're up against... You know the two big names there, but surely Dex, currently you could race on a Thursday. It doesn't matter. There's lots of people at home, and the whole point of this is you don't have to get people to a track. They're not having to travel, and that counts for the audience as well. And right now, what else is there to watch on television? And surely network executives have got to say to themselves, guys, if we've got a sports network and we've got nothing else on. Why can't we race on a Monday night or a Tuesday night? Obviously not a Wednesday night because they know everybody's listening to Midweek Motorsport. 100%. And I know Tim has a point on this. Mm. Tim? You you look at events where Imza and IndyCar are combined, though, like Long Beach. Yeah. The reason why uh, Long Beach, Imza races on Saturday and IndyCar on Sunday, is purely logistical. Well, there's re- no IndyCar race on both days because it's a doubleheader. There's no reason why they can't race IMSA and IndyCar in a virtual world back to back because they don't need to have that time to clean the track and do all the padded stuff yeah no agreed I had a conversation with iRacing today, uh, uh, just a, a broad conversation with, with the lovely Chris Leone who runs their communications. We had a long conversation about some stuff I'm working on and and without going into any detail, the way he described it was, he said, yeah, that's a great idea. We should do that Sunday morning as a run-in to uh, the NASCAR event or the F1 event. And he's talking about the virtual one. And he's talking about how we scheduled stuff uh, in a way that benefits everybody, you know. Uh, but or, I don't think you have to look at it. That I, I differ there. I think you don't have to look at it like, particularly not at the moment, when so many people around the world 
are sitting with nothing to watch on the television. Major sports networks, Sky in the UK, are allowing you to pause your sports subscription and still watch the channel at the moment but not pay for it because there's nothing for them to show. It doesn't matter whether you're short on a Monday night or a Tuesday night. There's going to be people... Or a but Tuesday afternoon. that's not sustainable in the long term, John. No, and but... They, they, they don't want this to be a flash in the pan and suddenly when real sport comes back, it disappears. That's counterintuitive for them. When real sport comes back on Saturday and Sunday, they're going to wish that they'd built themselves an audience on a Monday and a Wednesday and a Friday. And Dex, you've been involved in the Mission and Pilot Challenge and the Friday afternoon race at Daytona... Uh, is one of the the biggest races in terms of eyes on that we ever have. Absolutely, and it's the same. I feel the same way about the. Uh, I used to feel about the the old Gatorade jewels uh, for qualifying for Daytona yeah. afternoon racing. It was just the most fantastic thing ever. But you're right. It, it could we should we could and should probably be developing a slot that becomes. Uh, we always talk about uh, the equity of the calendar. What yeah. if you uh, uh, so if you. Pro pro uh, i racing arguably then you, what you're saying is should have developed equity at some stage on its own during the week it should Correct. find the spot that's his that's its Correct. His. sorry about that you signed the gender I'm sorry uh, find uh, theirs. <laughs> There is correct. No, I agree with that. Uh, we've got to wrap this up tonight because I know everybody's got things to do. We've already run over by uh, 15 minutes. Tim, what have you got? We'll keep Dex for a moment because there's a couple of more stories we want to do on Midway yep. Motorsport. Uh, first of all, uh, something I saw on Twitter, which is possibly my favourite uh, tweet of the week. Okay. Uh, or se- maybe my second favourite tweet of the week. The uh, second story is also Twitter-based. Uh, this is from Connor Daly. I assume this quarantine business must be way better with a girlfriend because for the last week and a half I've only had human conversations through internet gaming services with people that have names like Willie Faster, uh, uh, Fisterbaum and XONOOBTO0BER6969. Mm. I, I point you in the direction of uh, Chris Harris of Top Gear uh, Firm, who is at Harris Monkey, says he will get through this... Um, with whiskey and something else and that the something else is is quite interesting but it might involve a lot of tissues or socks the, oh god uh, stop <laughs> that advice in uh, uh, very high selling uh, national newspaper last week all right um and a second tweet uh, that i saw from a different indycar driver uh, Robert Wickens yeah. tweeted a video of himself doing 10 push-ups. Extraordinary. Which is yeah, 10 more great. than we've seen Amazing. from Will Power so far this year. And it's nine more than uh, I could do. Um, uh, extraordinary stuff. Dex, thanks for being with us, mate. Stay safe, won't you? Thanks to all of our guests tonight. It's been a bumper uh, edition. I hope you've enjoyed it. Stay tuned for a new Inside Story coming up. We'll be back 8 o'clock next week. Uh, Remember, tomorrow night, Tora Radio Show with a beginner's guide to eSports and racing online, followed by Creelsey and the gang with another bumper on the grid. And we're back next Wednesday at 8 o'clock for another edition of Midweek Motorsport, whatever that sport is. There's no time to explain right now uh, because the llama... Oh, the llama wants to put another log on the fire. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.